Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. This episode is brought to us by Mike the Strongman. Are you tired of getting your training and nutrition advice from someone with only a weekend certification? Then perhaps it's time to turn to someone with over 15 years of research-based experience. Mike the Strongman can help you with all your training and nutrition needs. Mike has a proven track record of getting results with his clients. Visit MikeTheStrongMan.com for more information or email Mike at MikeTheStrongMan at gmail.com if you're ready to take your performance to the next level. This episode is also brought to us by the Healthiest You Chiropractic Center. The Healthiest You Chiropractic Center in Strongsville, Ohio is dedicated to giving their patient community the highest level of healthcare. Their doctors have been trained on the newest and most innovative styles of chiropractic and rehabilitative treatments. From back pain to ankle strains, the Healthiest You has remedies for a variety of injuries. Are you looking to perform better in life and activity? Their team takes a wellness-based approach on health rather than only focusing on symptoms such as pain. Call 440-238-3338 or email them at thychiro, that's T-H-Y-C-H-I-R-O, at gmail.com for questions about becoming a patient. Now is a better time than ever to become the healthiest you. And last but not least, this episode is brought to us by CrossFit Strongsville. CrossFit Strongsville is a place where everyday people become heroes every day. Through qualified coaching, challenging yet modifiable exercise programming, and a supportive community unlike any other, members find a way to break through personal barriers physically, mentally, and emotionally. No matter what level you're at, from the very beginner to the elite, you'll find you receive great service from the moment you walk through the door, and we promise it will be one of the best hours of your day. Check out CrossFitStrongsville.com for more information and to sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with the owner, a 12-year veteran of the fitness and therapy fields. Okay, folks, my guest today is Dane Lee of Elite Recovery Sports Massage. Now, I asked Dane to come on the show and talk about recovery in and out of the gym, but unfortunately, I'm a little too long-winded and got too wrapped up in getting to know Dane. But luckily, Dane was able to stick around a little bit longer and record another quick episode on a topic that I was supposed to have him talk about on this one. So if you want to skip ahead to that one, it's Recovery 101. But if you want to learn a little bit more about who Dane is first, then keep on listening. I had a ton of fun getting to know him, and I hope that you do too. So sit back, strap in, and enjoy our conversation. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hess, and today I'm with Dane Lee of Elite Recovery. Dane, how are you doing? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing quite well. So uh, Dane works out at the gym that I work out at, and he does a lot of recovery-type massage, and I guess what all kinds of things do you get into at the gym? Mostly massages, a lot of hands-on work. Um, I say if anything else, it's people coming up and just randomly asking questions like, hey, my There's lots of questions. How do I do this? How do I do that? Uh, Range of mobile range of motion, mobility work, that kind of stuff. Okay. So but, the, lots of different things that could yeah. be in all things recovery, essentially, yeah. is kind of what you do. And that's kind of why we had him on the podcast today, is I wanted to sit down and kind of pick his brain about Recovery 101, all the things that people should know that they really don't know. Because even though I've listened to a bunch of podcasts about these sorts of things, I've been in the gym for years, I still don't know anything about it. So that's why we <laughs> brought Dane on, so we can kind of cover all of that. 
Um, but first, let's kind of get to know you a little bit. Okay. And um, you said you were born in the Pennsylvania area, and then you yeah. came over here for college. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of been here ever since in the Northeast Ohio area. For the most part, yeah. So, so um, kind of what, what school did you go to? Like, what did you study in college? Oh, so I went to Kent State, okay. but when I started, I was actually a musical theater major. Okay. Um, and then about two years in, I decided I was going to join the Army. I went National Guard route. And when I came back, I thought, you know, I need to be able to make a paycheck. Those are usually nice Those are things helpful. to do. They are. It's kind of nice to live indoors and eat food. <laughs> I didn't want to be a waiter and do auditions for musical theater. I, I, I really liked it. I still do theater a little bit every once in a while, but um, now were you more into the um, the singing part of it or the musical part of it or was all of it just together? Just all of it. Like okay. I wasn't the world's greatest singer. I really liked the acting portion of it. Okay. Um, and so I assume you grew was, up doing all the plays and stuff I did. for school and everything. I did a lot of a lot of plays in school. Uh, did you ever have any uh, formal training before you obviously went off to college to do that no, sort of stuff? But no, um, it was just one of these random things where I. Went to a play with my older brother when I was in high school because uh, he wanted to see a girl who was going. Okay. And he dragged me along. That's I, normally <laughs> why guys would go. And I saw it and I was like, this is amazing. I want to go do this um, without knowing anything else about it. I was like, I want to be on a stage. Okay. So How, how old were you when, when that happened? Uh, about 14, 15. Okay. So the next year I auditioned for Oliver. And they gave me this like really small part, and all I had to do was come on. And I was when I was working in the workhouse, and they had this pot that I had to like serve the gruel out of, and that was my whole role. Okay. And then the next year, uh, they put me in Joseph, and I was the youngest brother. And like you just kind of like work your way up, because it was the the same company in the area that was doing the plays, and so you get to know people, and then you get a little bit better, and they teach you stuff, and you move your way up. So uh, we did Godspell the summer before I left for college and I played Jesus and that's kind of a tough role to play. It was, it was. <laughs> um, but what's funny is looking back on that at the time, like, that was like such a big role to try and do. And then you reflect on it like 10 years, 15 years later. And you're like, there's so much more that I would do differently that you just, you don't know then. Of course not. To put into something like that. That's kind of the idea is you right. have to get started with something and then you learn as you go. Which makes me think, why was I playing Jesus when I was 18 years old if there were all these other life experiences that you could have put into that kind of thing? But, you know, it's community theater. So uh, I was thankful for that part. But that took me to college and I announced like, I want to go do musical theater when I'm at college. Okay. these just random bright ambitions like i'm gonna make it well maybe oh, it's possible <laughs> it's I mean, possible some, it's, some it's people te- do it's technically possible so at college i was introduced to the actual work side of it okay because you know you get handed a role like a lead role back home and you're like i'm amazing i got the lead role yeah i work my way up i'm like i'm ready to go and you get to college and you're like yeah you need a resume and you need headshots, and you need to take vocal lessons, and not singing lessons, just voice lessons. You also do, and you do uh, movement classes. Also, oh, like speaking lessons. Yeah, just r- learning how to use the voice, how to use the breath, how to actually, you know, not just dialect, but where to put placement. Like, do you speak from the chest? Do you speak from the throat? Like, do you take a head voice? That kind of thing. And how to use that within space. And interesting. Yeah, it was. I was talking to a client the other day about it because they were having some issues with breathing 
actually in reference to powerlifting. I was like, yeah, we actually learned some of that stuff when I was in theater, and I was telling her about it. And she asked, well, how often do you feel like you use theater just in day-to-day? Because I spent, you know, at least two years with that as a main focus when I was in college. I was like, I use it every day. Literally every day there is some aspect of that, whether it's the breath control for exercise or it's, um, I mean, even just now, like talking. Yeah. Like just trying to pay attention to, like you were saying, like making sure it really enunciate as you're going through things. Um, how fast am I talking? How slow am I talking? How loud am I talking? Where am I placing the voice? Um, am I changing my breath pattern? Those kinds of things. So once you start taking classes like that and you realize, oh, this is how I'm supposed to use the body. This is how I'm supposed to like present myself when I'm on stage and everything that I was doing before. Um, it's not that like it wasn't acting. But there was so much that was missed. You know, you're coming from a small town where you just, you don't learn those things. Well, I mean, how could you? Yeah. Because in most of those in a small town, if, if there's somebody there, hey, great, we have someone. We this, have someone, This yeah. is amazing. We need <laughs> someone. Yes, get out there. Do something. And you learn that not just that those aspects of acting exist, but how long does it take to work on it? Like, you get taught, this is how you use the voice, but now go take a year and really develop it. And this is what you're going to have to do every day. These are the steps along the way. This is what is required of you. It's not a, now you know it, good, go do it. Yeah. It's now you know it, good, go practice yeah. and practice. Like anything else, just, just re- every, refine yeah. it and just put, it in the, put in the time. And that's where it became work. It wasn't um, something where you could just show up anymore and be like, well, I'm the guy who played Jesus. I got the lead role. You know, Give me another role. It's like, no, you got to earn it. And you have to do some work before you're going to earn this. Yeah. Um, Movement-wise, uh, I use that probably every day when I'm in gymnastics. The the idea of just being aware of your body and how you're moving and, you know, different planes that you're moving in as far as like high, low. And there are these exercises you do, and they're crazy. They're absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I was like, all right, you're a cat and you have to crawl around the space. Or um, you're the tallest person in the room. And even though I'm... I was shorter than almost everybody in the department. It's like, you're the tallest person in the room. How do you hold yourself? And you have to like move with only your chest or now you have to move with only your hip or move with only your hand. And, uh, there, these things that just kind of get you outside your head. Okay. And the way that you normally think. Is a lot of that just to make you uncomfortable or to to let you know that, Hey, you're going to feel like an idiot sometimes and that's okay. That's normal. Get over it. Dual purpose, yeah. 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 Part of it is just like you need to experience your body in these different positions so that you have a reference to it and you can use it later. And the other one is, yeah, you're going to feel like an idiot. Like you're just going to feel really, really uncomfortable exposing yourself like that in front of people and being okay with it. Because at the end of the day, when the audience shows up, it's for them. Okay. You have to be that version of you, but it is for them. And so there is an expectation. There's an obligation as an actor that you need to do your job and you're going to be uncomfortable doing your job. So if you want to have work, you need to be able to work when you're uncomfortable. Um, and that part, that was always very fun to me. Like the, I, cause I was always very willing to be uncomfortable and I mean, even when we were talking before and I said, like, I'm nervous to be on a podcast. I've never been on a podcast before, but I'm excited 
because that's an area I haven't done before. And so like the willingness to be like, ah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what we're going to talk about. I'm, well, gonna, I'm nervous about well, this. Well, that was kind of the idea of, yeah. of this whole podcast is to really not have a structure, not have a script. So we can just kind of have a conversation right. wherever it goes, it goes. Now, I know it's weird to be recording and doing those kind of <laughs> things, but it's, I mean, for our, for our tens of listeners out there, you know, <laughs> this, is, this it, is just how it works. But it becomes exciting because uh, similar to theater, like you, you put yourself out there and you find a new version of yourself in the process. And I think that's, that's true with anything. And that's um partially what was the next step when i went into the military like i want to know what that version is okay i want to know what that new boundary is like what happens when i cross over to that new area of life that i've never experienced um that kind of insatiable curiosity of who am i what happens about how i think about who i am when i'm in this new context and what do i learn when you do that so I will say, though, that even though I learned about what work was in theater, yeah. I never worked very hard. In in theater itself? In, in theater itself. I loved working for the art. I hated working for the business part of it. Okay. Where it's like, all right, you got to put your package together. Where it's like the package for musical theater when you're going to the auditions, you had to have two 16s, meaning like 16 bars or 16 measures that you had to sing. They need to be contrasting. So one of them needs to be up and happy and bright and make sure you hit that high note at the end to show them if whether you're a baritone or a tenor, yada, yada. And then the other one had to be uh, usually sad or a little bit lower, you know, something that shows both ranges of emotions. Like, look how well you can cast me as a lead, but also look how emotionally uh, impactful I can be when I sing the really sad song. And then you put a monologue together and, you know, that had to be like two minutes. Are these and, things that you were doing in class that were part of your structured work? Okay. Yeah, and they build you up. So the first year is mainly introduction to everything. It's just, you know, this is acting. This is how you read a play. You know, this is what it means to look at the uh, developing storyline arch as you're going through. This is what a beat is. Um, this is how you do a critical analysis of a play or a dance show or a musical. And then the second year you get into acting, you start to learn, all right, how do I pick songs that really fit me? Like, and if you want to get into like the psychology of it, like truly trying to understand how can I sell myself? Who am I? How do people see me? And what do I need to do in order for them to buy into what they see? And that part I never liked. I, I hated it because you, the idea of selling has always been something that just bugged the shit out of me. Now, now, why do you think that is? Because automatically, I feel, whether this is true or not, I feel that I am playing to how the other person has already judged me. Okay. Or decided who I am. And using that to my advantage to try to get something out of them. And that has never felt authentic. Instead of me showing up and being, this is who I am, this is who I actually am as a person, and this is who I can be on stage, it's, oh, you're 5'9", you're good looking, you have a bright smile, you'll be really good as a chorus boy. Like, you can go do tap dance in the background and make sure that you sing a mid-range so that when we do South Pacific or Anything Goes, that 
you know, we have a good production and everyone's going to clap at the end. Okay. So, so that they've already kind of precast you. Yeah. Like they've, they've, they've judged yeah. you by just how you look and how exactly. you're appearing and then boom, they just, they've, they've already written you off as anything else. And for the most part, it, you have to accept that because it's a business. As the people who cast a show, they're required to make it look the way that it's supposed to look. And I fit a certain role. And I never wanted to fit that role. I never wanted – I'm not saying like as a leading guy, but I wanted them to figure out who I was as opposed to showing them that I could be the person they needed for that role. And that's contrary to the entire business of theater. Okay. Because if I know that I can fit a certain role and I can get that job and that job leads to a paycheck and I can you know, support myself with that paycheck, it only makes sense to show up and be the person they want to see. But that never felt authentic. That okay. never felt real. Okay. So I was really deterred from going into that as a job if that's what I had to look forward to every single time. And I had teachers I had told this to, and they're like, you do that, like you, you pay your dues. You do that for a time until you get the opportunity to show them who you are. And I thought, all right, I can do that. Yeah, but I'll bet you most people never get that chance because yeah, they just get it, yeah, typecast. That that time or that opportunity doesn't come along. And in the meantime, I'm surrounded by people who are buying into that. And frankly, that always felt at the end of the day, like an environment that just made me feel unclean. Okay. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, no, no that makes perfect sense. Because <laughs> that, you're not being true to yourself. Exactly. And, and, and I was around and, and people it, who didn't want to be true to themselves. Absolutely, because in all things in life, the, the biggest thing you can do is just be true to who you are. You know, I, I believe in that wholeheartedly because, like, mm-hmm. great example, like when I go to work, I don't play politics. I don't kiss ass to anybody. <laughs> I'll tell people how, how I feel, what, mm-hmm. what I really think about something. I'm not going to hold back. Right. Now, granted, there are certain things that you can't say because no, yeah. I, I kind of like having a job, so I have to be somewhat <laughs> muted, you know, but candid I'm, but professional. I'm not buying into all the BS that is yeah. a normal office workplace because I, I work in an office, you know, and it's just, it is what it is. I mean, mm-hmm. This is what I need to do to survive there. That's fine, but I'm still going to be me. Right. I have to be a muted version of myself because if I was really myself, I would probably get fired. <laughs> That's just how it works because right. they're going to just find somebody else who's going to play the game. Yeah, you know, and I, I didn't. I don't want to play the game. I just want to be me. So I, I totally get where you're coming from. That's exactly it. Is that I didn't want to play that game. Okay. So, so you kind of fell out of that. So, how, yeah. how long were you there doing the the theater stuff? Two years. Two years. Okay. Yeah. So, did you like switch majors and go to something else, or did you just go right in the military? Then? Went right in the military. So okay. The, so, like active duty, deployed, all that kind of good stuff. No, uh, Army National Guard. So the summer after my sophomore year, I had just finished up working at a theater uh, in the local area. We did Our Town, and I mean, literally the week after we finished that show, and they had us in uh, apartments over in Kent for the summer. They put us up in housing. Um, The week after we finished that show, as we were clearing out the apartment, I drove, talked to the recruiter, and said, you know, I want to join. What are my options? And he laid down a plan and said, this is what you have to do. You have to go take the ASVAB. Uh, we'll figure out what your score is when you come back from that, what you're qualified for. Okay. And, you know, go from there. So I pushed to make that happen really quickly. Um, I didn't sign up for classes for the fall semester. Um, didn't switch anything. I just never signed up. Okay. 
told a handful of teachers, handful of friends what I was planning on doing so that if anyone asked, somebody people, knew somebody knew yeah. where I was and what was going on. And I was off of training for about nine months. I left first of first weekend of October and came back on my birthday in May. Why, why so long? Don't you normally like leave for maybe a month or two for maybe boot camp and come back for a little bit? Then you maybe go off for some more specialized training? Um, I had about a month before I shipped. And we went. It was um, a specialized program, which it makes it sound a lot cooler than it was. So the Army at the time was pract- or trying to find out if they could take the nine-week boot camp and shorten it down to seven weeks. Okay. And still see if they had the same level of effectiveness. And uh, it was an experiment that started, not I won't say with us alone, but we were part of the initial experiment. So they came to us and they said, while you're, um, God, where were we? It was at Jackson, Fort Jackson, down South Carolina. And when you first go, you spend like a week where they make sure you have all your shots and you have all your paperwork and yeah. here's your uniform, here's all your equipment, but you're not actually in boot camp. Yeah. You're not it. You're like in processing. Right. In processing. And while we were there, they said, look, we're going to have a PT test and we need people who can score at least, um, what was it, like a 180 for the PT test or you know, a 200 or something like that. So we're going to have a PT test for everyone here if they think they can pass that. And if you hit that score and you have an ASVAB score of such a number or above, then you are qualified to try this experiment. To, to cut two weeks off. To cut two weeks off. And they said, if you do that, because of the timing of where you guys are right now, you will have the, the two-week leave of when you finish before you have to come back right at holiday. Okay. So Christmas time. So we would finish right before Christmas have two weeks off, and come back and go right to AIT, wherever our AIT was. No, what's AIT? Uh, advanced Individual Training. Okay. So for me, that... So that's more specialized for your job, specialized. whatever it's going to yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I thought, well, I have the ASVAB score, which I think the one section that they needed was a technical score of like 110 or higher. I, I honestly don't remember the numbers. That's fine. Top my head. But I had that part, and I thought, well, I'm pretty sure I can hit the PT score, I've never done a full PT test that they have there, but it's uh, two-minute sit-ups, two-minute push-ups, and then the two-mile run. And you have to have certain numbers, and depending on the numbers in your age, you get a score. Yeah. So I passed that. I'm like, all right, you get to go do this. So I did a seven-week boot camp where all of the time was just cut down on everything. So okay. we so still added... You didn't have as much time on everything, so right. you just compressed everything. Compressed you still everything. got the same amount of stuff. Yeah. You just you had less time to learn it. Yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot of times it was uh two or three types of training in one day. So we would do the morning doing one thing and then immediately switch in the afternoon to do another thing and then in the evening go to do another part. So they would try to condense like three days worth of training down to that one day. Okay. Excuse me. Um which I don't know. I never had a comparison. So I like went to boot camp beforehand. I was like, well, I did the nine week and Luckily, now I did the seven week. Yeah. There are a bunch of people who kind of get recycled through. Yeah. So I don't know what the difference would have been. I talked to other people who have done the nine week. I don't, I don't know that there was really much of a difference other than they were there for two weeks longer. 
Um, and then I've also talked to my friend who was in the Air Force and his was seven weeks and did a comparison and I don't know. So all I know is, yeah, I finished in seven weeks and I've never heard about it since. So whether that means the experiment that we were in failed and they just didn't want to implement it. Well, most likely it's, it's like anything else. Like you had to have a good base of conditioning coming in already. Yeah. You had to have high enough scores to be able to handle the extra workload and those kind of things. It probably just wasn't suitable for everyone. If it's yeah. not suitable for everyone, they can't do it because they don't do specialized stuff. They, they do just general everything. So that's just kind of how that works, unfortunately. So, so AIT, Fort Gordon, um, did communications. This is a combo guy. And I don't know, this is another one of the situations where I just, I didn't think about life. Well, you're young. Nobody yeah. thinks about life. You, you just want to have a good time. You want yeah. to have fun. You want to hang out with your friends, do those kind of things. So the joke when you're first in is my recruiter told me. <laughs> and this was a scenario where my recruiter told me that, oh, you qualified for Camo. Most of your job is going to be sitting in a field with a radio and cleaning the end of it with the eraser of a pencil to make sure you have a good connection and then waiting for something to break down. And for part of that, that was true. Uh, there was a lot of time spent in the field, but he also told me that when you're done, this information that you have will translate really well to the civilian world to get a job over there as like a like Time Warner technician. Okay. Or, you know, working for a television company or, or a telephone company. So, so behind like the scenes working on audio equipment? Yeah, basically, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't think he knew okay. what that meant. I think he just kind of knew that there were people in the past that probably had a job doing that. So that was his selling point. Like, yeah, you should go do Camo. And here's a guy who succeeded randomly doing this in the civilian world, so I'm going to tell you that. And I never in my wildest dreams was like, you know what I want to do? I want to work on telephones. I want to go run <laughs> wire. I want to, you know, make sure I want to be an IT guy. Like, not really. Um, but he told me that, and so I had this random optimistic mindset about something I never really wanted to do. And I was like, yeah, this is a great idea. I should go do Camo. And then I find out <laughs> that it's like seven months of training down at Fort Gordon to learn everything because I was a 25 uniform and we started January, where is it? January, February, March, April, May. Okay. So five, I'm exaggerating. Five months of training. And you basically learn how to be a low level IT manager. You have to know how to run network and cat five cables and you have to know how to, you know, take a computer system that has no operating system and install all of that, go from the ground up and learn how to work within a FOB setting. So if you're at a forward operating base out in the field or when you're being deployed, where do you start? Like you have a tent, you have computers that aren't hooked up, you have antennas, but nothing's assembled. What do you do? Okay. Um, so, you know, the army version of an IT manager and how do you start communicating? And it takes a while to learn that. Just a little bit. <laughs> Just it's a little kind bit. of complex <laughs> systems there. Um, but fortunately, it never got so complex that we. there was another uh, group of people. that They were the 25 Vistas. They were there, I think, just shy of a year. Because um, there was this rule that like, if you were in training for a certain amount of time, they were required to put you in special housing because you were long-term. And so they had the Vistas there like two weeks just under that, so they didn't have to put them in special housing, so they saved a lot of money doing that. But 
they were the ones who learned like satellite communications and how to operate that in the field and how they had the portable satellites and okay. getting internet where there just shouldn't be internet kind of situations. They were the cool guys. Okay. Um, we were the step down from okay. the cool guys. So we, <laughs> we kind of knew what was cool, but not quite, not quite. Um, but I come back from that and I realize that even though I don't want to do work in the IT field yeah, and on whatever level that I need to change to something that would get me a paycheck like that. You know, I need to have a little bit of job security Okay, from what I just experienced. So when I come back, that's when I changed my major and I went to exercise phys and at Kent at the time they were doing this big restructuring of the program where they had a lot of different degrees like athletic training and they had exercise physiology and exercise specialist, but they all fell under physical education. And it was just, you know, which was a department for the, the, uh, the education, like teachers were under that yeah. too, going through. So that was like, if you're going to be a gym teacher. So you have to kind of take all those classes yeah. really. Cause yeah. it's all under that one you know branch. Yeah. And especially because, my catalog year for Kent was 2004 when I came in and I was coming back starting a brand new major, you know, three years later. So their catalog within that restructuring, it kept changing and, you know, names for classes got rearranged. The credits got changed. Some of them didn't even exist anymore. The requirements were all over the place. And I spent a, a year doing that, just trying to figure out if that's what I wanted to do. Okay. Because at the same time, having joined the National Guard, they were paying for school. So I had this just, I don't, I don't even know mindset of, yeah, I'm going to take whatever. Who cares? <laughs> I'm not paying for I'm it. I'm not paying for shit right now. I'm going to take whatever classes I want. That sounds fun. I'll go do that. So uh, along that lines, I took swing dance for four years. Nothing wrong with that. When I was a kid. No, that's a fantastic skill. I had a blast doing that. But, you know, you get credit for it once. And I took it four years in a row. I mean, granted, it's not like it takes up a lot of time, but at the same, you still have to pay for it. Yeah. But I wasn't paying for it, so I didn't really care. And that is not the only example of classes that I took where I just had a very lackadaisical approach about like, I'm going to go do this. Why not? Yeah. Unfortunately, so- I know a bunch of kids that I went to school with that had the same kind of thing, whereas like their parents maybe or maybe they had some government grants and they yeah. those were paying for school so they didn't give a shit they no. just they they went to class whenever they wanted to they they took whatever classes they wanted to and there's nothing wrong with that no, no. no granted let, let me let me preface this by saying i'm all for education mm-hmm. i'm not huge on schooling no i Sch- i agree schooling isn't education in my opinion because unfortunately today i i talked to my daughter she's in high school and she tells me the stuff that they do. It's like all about memorizing the stuff to take these tests. And then they yeah. have these big pizza parties and watch movies and do whatever until they have to study for the next test. And it's like, aren't you supposed to be learning things? Aren't you supposed to be thinking for yourself and critically going through these things and yeah. coming up with your own like conclusions of what things were and what things are and what you believe? And that to me is education. Like I've gotten much more of an education outside of schooling yeah. than I ever did in school. I mean, I, I was good at memorizing things for tests, so I did well in school because I would just cram for it last minute, remember it, and then just flush my mind, forget it, and go on to the next thing. Right. It was no big deal. But <laughs> So I, I'm all for taking swing dancing lessons, and if you want to get into uh, calligraphy or something like that, you find that stuff fascinating, or art history, or 
light it up, go do your thing. That, that's fine. But, you know, let's, let's also be a little bit more studious of someone else having to pay that bill. Because especially if you're not paying for it, you know, so somebody else has to. Yeah. You know, and th- <laughs> that kind of hurts the bottom line yeah. everywhere you look. So, I agree with you. I'm I'm not a huge fan of schooling. I coming back to what I was saying before. Like I'm a chronically curious person. Like I just yeah. I have this insatiable appetite for information, and I think that that got the better of me during that first year back, where it's like, which which makes sense because yeah, it's it's it, like this free for all now. Yeah, like, hey, this just, is amazing. I can do whatever I want. This is awesome. And because at the time I was technically a sophomore, so you have access to higher level classes as long as you have the prereqs you know, taken care of. So I can literally take all these different things that really don't take me in any specific direction and they're paid for and not alone, not something I have to pay for back later. Okay. I mean, technically, yeah, you put your life on the line when you sign for that contract with the army, but like in the 21, 22 year old mind, (laughs) it's free. Yeah. And I, uh, I mean, I, I can remember finally having that moment where I just looked like, wait, what just happened? I spent two semesters telling myself that I'm taking classes for a degree and these literally moved me nowhere. Yeah. It's like, oh, Has everything changed shit. and things moved around? Yeah. And- like, oh, man. Um, I should probably do something. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. I should probably actually take classes that are going to get me to graduate because- up to that point, it wasn't just the the idea of taking whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, having it paid for. But I didn't care about graduating. Like I was having a hell of a time. Yeah. Like I'm in college. I'm getting money to pay for college. I'm getting money when I go to drill. Uh, I joined ROTC at the time, so you're getting a monthly stipend from them. Like I'm not working, you know, the normal college job. But like I'm still getting an income. I have a GI bill. That's coming in. So all these different sources of money, working one weekend a month, technically, and college is paid for. Like, this was the high life, in my opinion. <laughs> like, who, what did I care about graduating? This, things are fine. And then the end of the year, we were like, I just wasted an entire year. So I'm four years out of high school, one of those years being gone for training, one year just being wasted, two of those years on a major that I'm not even doing it. I don't even have a minor in it. I didn't keep any of those credits. What the hell am I doing? So you finally buckle down and start taking summer classes and you start trying to get moving in the right direction. And by the end of the second year of the major, like I was actually making momentum towards graduating and okay. getting still in the credit. exercise fizz still in the exercise fizz and trying to figure out like what do I want to do afterward okay because what I think happens almost with everybody that goes into exercise whether it's um you know exercise science exercise physiology exercise specialist anything like that is that you have an appreciation for uh training yeah and it doesn't have to be like training as an athlete but just movement. You have okay. an appreciation for, you know, not just exercise, but whether that's training for a sport, uh, being a personal trainer, um, being an athlete, uh, physical therapy, you know, athletic training, those kinds of things. I mean, naturally, I would assume yeah. that most people in those kind of fields in college got into it through sports right. specifically. But you're, you're talking more about movement and not so much the sports. Because as as someone who like ran track and ran 
cross country. What was the sports you played in was, high school? Yeah, that's what I did in high school. Anything in college? Uh, I started gymnastics. Okay. When I was in college, they had a club team at Kent, and I got into that um, just randomly. I didn't realize that they had. They also had. They had a varsity women's team, or have a varsity women's team at Kent, and they cut the men's program years ago. Yeah. Well, but, a, lot, a lot of colleges anymore, they have to have equal number yeah. of men's and women's sports. So a lot of men's sports get cut because there's not enough women's sports to do both. So And out of that, they developed a club team for gymnastics. Which, which essentially is still a college team, oh, typically. Yeah. You just have to pay for it all yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you yes, get, you, you do. Get, <laughs> you get no help from the college. Yes, you do. Um, so I got into that when I was in college, but having done that, in high school for track and cross country like looking back on it i like like i still like to run and i liked running at the time but i wasn't someone who ran to be really competitive i never took it seriously okay i did it because there was this joy of movement okay i loved how i felt while running okay the idea that at any point in time without any equipment whatsoever or you know any special terrain i can just go i can go run down a street. I can be on a trail. I can, you know, be on a treadmill if I really wanted to. I could take laps around the block. I lived in the Allegheny Forest in Pennsylvania and there were railroad tracks a hundred meters away from my house that I could just like jog down to. And if I wanted to, I could run down the tracks kind of thing. It's, you don't need anything but shoes yeah. really. And the freedom of that made me love movement. Okay. Yeah, just like the, the self-expression from it, like without getting, you know, too romantic about the idea, just I, I loved that freedom. And I think that I came to it through running and most athletes get to it through their own sport or whatever it is. Yeah. But it's that idea that they are passionately connected to their version of movement and wanting to show that to other people. So whether that's personal training where it's like, I'm going to help you get stronger or, you know, more fit or help you with weight loss, or it's an athletic trainer who's like, you're injured. I'm going to help you with that physical therapy, strength coach, anything like that. It's the idea of communicating that passion. That's what gets them into it. And then they realize when they get into it often, this is what happened with me is that I could never be a personal trainer. Okay. I can't do it because a lot of times you're working with a client who never is going to care the way that you care. No, that's kind of not their job. It's your Ex job to exactly. care for them. And it's that rude awakening of going, oh, not that I'm abnormal for caring this much, but... I think it's fair to say. I'm unique. If you do, within, then it really yeah. is. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. Own it. No. Love it. Just be, but be you. <laughs> it is, it's a unique mindset when it comes to exercise to think that you feel passionate about you know, the body moving. Okay. In, in whatever aspect that you want to move. So it was very disheartening to realize that the more I learned, the more I had to offer to a population that didn't care. Yeah. They don't want the amount of knowledge that you're amassing. They want, how do I lose weight in yeah. six weeks? And most to most the of beach? them want a hack. They want a magic right. pill. They want... Like, Things that just happen instantly. Like, that's not how this works. This like, is all hard like, work. Don't tell me how to bench press. Don't tell me how to squat. Just tell me what I'm doing. I'm going to go hop on a machine and, you know, I'm going to be here for a certain number of sessions because that's what I paid for because summer's right around the corner. Or have you know, that beach body. Exactly. And I, I couldn't stand it. Okay. And it was nothing against those people. Like, that's that's where they are in their life. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. 
but the distance between where I was in my mindset and how I viewed movement and where they were created this divide that it wasn't fulfilling. Like there was literally nothing fulfilling about that. Okay. And then the more you learn, the bigger that divide becomes. So you start trying to figure out, all right, what am I going to do? If I have this information, I'm two years into a degree, I have another two years to go, and there is theoretically more knowledge that I'm going to gain and an even bigger divide that's going to happen, what do I do? Like, what's available to me? How do I use that information? So I got an internship with a a company called uh, Premier Sport Conditioning. Okay. And they're up in Twinsburg. Worked with a guy named Mike Kaza. And while I was working there, and this comes back to what you were talking about, the amount that you learn outside of school, just the real world education. Yes. He did a video with me at the end of it that he does with all of his interns. And he just says, you know, this is Dane. He's been our intern here for three months because I did an entire summer there. And here's his experience. And I said, I still remember this, like in the interview telling him, I learned more here in three months than I did in three years of school. Yes. And I think that's pretty common, unfortunately, in all these different fields. Now, Mm -hmm. why is that, I guess, becomes an important question in my mind, because if you look at the statistics, which I haven't looked at in years, it's been a while. You know, over 60% of all college graduates, and that's graduates, let mm-hmm. alone people who started and didn't finish, which is most people in college. I mean, I think that's more like a 70% kind of statistic there of who actually drop out. But like they say a couple of years ago, again, I don't know the numbers mm-hmm. now, they said that over 60% of all college graduates do not work in the field they study. So like that at that always asks the question to me is like, well, then what the hell are we doing and sending all these kids yeah. to school? racking up all this debt, doing all these things. Now, granted, there's great things they get from school. They can get out, they can get on their own, they can learn to be responsible for themselves, they have one too many jello shots and realize, <laughs> hey, this is not what I need to do. I need to yeah. buckle down and get to work and I need to graduate. And I think there's probably better ways of doing that without strapping these kids with sixty, seventy, hundred thousand dollars yeah. in debt by the time they're 21 with no job <laughs> and no way to get rid of that debt. They literally can't even, I guess the only way to get rid of it is to die. <laughs> Yeah, Dire yeah. payback. Those are your two choices. It's like th- that's that's putting a huge burden on these kids, mm-hmm. you know. But I mean, how, how much of that could you have learned in school, maybe in a year or two or a couple of months, and kind of gotten the basic idea of it, and then gone to work with someone like we said, Max, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Mike. 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 Going yeah. to work with somebody like Mike, and they actually learned on the job for maybe even for six months. And be like, okay, yeah, this is something I really want to pursue. I'm going to go back to school and get some more classes, do those kind of things, and kind of work it off as I go. I mean, that, I think that'd be a lot more beneficial than just sending kids to school for four years, coming out with all this debt, and not not even know if they're even going to get a job. What do I do now? And let alone even use their – because I hate to say it, like when I went to school, I learned uh, a program to, to draw, to draft on on a computer – and I got out and realized that it was completely antiquated. Everyone had gone on to 3D design. I literally couldn't find work. It just didn't you know? exist anymore. And I didn't, I didn't even know because my college professors, they, they didn't have jobs. They were they were teachers. Mm-hmm. And they, they didn't know how to you know apply these things in the workforce because they, they were just talking theory and teaching how to draw lines and circles. <laughs> it's like, I could have figured this out in a two-week class. Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I learned more in six months than I did two years of dedicated yeah. training in college. Yeah. It was so frustrating. 
So working there, and I, you know, I tell him this, and I remember the look of shock on his face. <laughs> I because, don't think that would be very shocking, but no. But I think it was come like what you said, like that candid but professional idea of like this is the truth of the education system, and no one had said well, again, that. It's, that it's not an education system; it's schooling. School. Yeah, school there, there are system. two very yeah. different things. <laughs> education is learning. Schooling is memorizing shit to get a piece yeah, of paper. Like just regurgitate information yeah. and here you go. Yep. Um, but he was shocked that I was willing to say that or that, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure. I just, I remember the look on his face that he was shocked at the end of it okay. when I mentioned that. And he offered me a job at the end of it because after that conversation, um, I told him like, this is what I want to do. I didn't realize that strength coach work was a thing. Okay. It's not a, I didn't realize that was a job in my mind because I was na- naive about it. Like I was completely ignorant about the opportunities that existed once you have a degree uh, in exercise, physiology, exercise science. And I thought it was like, yeah, I'm going to go be a personal trainer or I'm going to go on and I'm going to be a physical therapist. Like I, that to me were the two options. Yeah. You're done. Go work in a gym. Or go to higher level and get your doctorate or something. Yeah, and by gym, you mean like a big globo gym yeah. where you get soccer moms coming in who want that right. beach body in six weeks and they sign up for so many classes. And I'm going to go yeah. work at the Y Yeah, and occasionally I'm going to have people come in and they buy a certain number of sessions and yeah, that's my job. And eventually I'm going to get to the point where I'm like the 40, 50-year-old guy who's the personal trainer there and like, oh yeah, I remember when I was your age and I was really fit and here's what I'm still able to do and it's thought about that and this is a side conversation that to me was just pathetic <laughs> it's just, if at any point in my life i get to where i'm like you know what i was doing when i was your age and look at what i can still do kind of thing i am uh it will be a very sad day yes but <laughs> you also have to remember that the, the time clock is ticking and no, I mean, as you get older there's things you just can't do anymore and unfortunately no, yeah. most people kind of just give up and then they don't live in the present, they start to live in the past. And they, exactly. they don't live for anything coming up or, I mean, to, to that stage in life, your training's going to look very different than it does now. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have to, you have to accept that. Just be, be okay oh, with I, it. Cause I've, I've got, I get that. I've got a friend who I just talked to. I'm hoping to get him on the podcast soon. Mm-hmm. I love that guy to death. He literally has a broken back and he, he can't hardly lift at all. He can barely walk. And he was a, power lifter and did some highland game stuff and was doing strongman things and he's just he's always been athletic and mm-hmm. he's been lifting for over over a decade he's super strong you know he's you know squatted six pulled six you know benched four as as a raw athlete with you know never taking any kind of supplements and he's he's a strong mofo <laughs> you know <laughs> but now he's thinking shit i can barely walk yeah right now i may never get back to where I was. And that's fine. Most people don't ever have to pull or squat six. You know, you don't, you don't need to do that <laughs> to be a healthy I'm, human being. No, I'm never so, going to see those numbers. <laughs> so now he's looking at this like, okay, what do I need to do so that I can walk Yeah, when I'm 50? Yeah. Because now he can only go about, you know, 20 or 40 feet or so before he's got to sit down or Jeez. lean against something because he, he can't move. So it's, it's just one of those things. It's like, okay, he's got, he's got to realize 
I can't do this forever. I've had this like this window where I've been an athlete. I can do anything I want. I can because I've got this base of training. I can go do a Highland Games. I can do powerlifting. I can do strongman and be pretty good at all of them. Mm-hmm. But now, how do I be there for my kid? She's got you know young girls. She's like, yeah. how, do I, how am I going to be there for them when they graduate? Let, let alone now, like in new sports and stuff like that. So it's just like training's going to change, and you have, oh, yeah. you, have to, you have to be okay with that. But but realize that. You're just training for a different phase in your life, and that's okay. See, I think that's a really good way to look at it is you're not living in the past. Like if you're accepting that this is where I am in my life, and this is how I'm going to train for where I am in my life right yes. now, that's completely different than going, you know, I can s- still do blah, 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 or I'm going to always make these past comparisons okay. to this is what I did. No, I see where you're getting yeah. at. That makes perfect sense. And I don't want to be the guy that does that. Yeah. I want to be the guy, like you're saying, like, this is how I train. Yeah. When I'm 50 years old, it's going to be different than when I'm 40 than when I am right now. And I will love that. I will love being the guy who still does something at 50, at 60, at 70, at, you know, and on. And appreciating the movement. That I can do then. Yes. But never using it as a comparison of, you know, I can still do blah, yeah. blah, blah. Like, I no, used to be able to do that. Exactly. And I can still kind of do this. Right. Like, Ooh, like, who cares? I mean, Back in the old glory days. <laughs> no, it's just like, this is where I am now. And this is my movement that I have now. And I will, I accept that. And I love that. And I get to do that. Like, that's the mindset. Like, I still get to do at least this. Okay. And I'm appreciating that. And I never want to be the guy that does the glory days. Okay. So you pretty much just wrote off personal training whatsoever. Yeah. I was like, that is not what I want Can't to do. Can't do it. Can't do okay. it. And also the so, whole like lack of satisfaction yeah, or well. fulfillment that comes from that. And realizing that, oh, if I were a strength coach, I get to use more of my knowledge because I can work with athletes. Yeah. And there's a different level of buy-in. They want that knowledge. Maybe not to the extent that I know it. Most likely not. Most likely. But they want the effect of that knowledge because that knowledge might help them with their sprint time or it might help them with uh, getting ready for uh, spring training or it might help with baseball when we, you know, we were going to steal first base. And if I work with them on their agility and their foot timing, I change how their hips are turning and I work with them on a couple of exercises, I can get them to take off a little bit quicker or I can work with that football player on that three-point stance or I can work with the sprinter on their first couple steps on the Excel and I don't have to break down the minutia of what I know. Yeah. But if I give them the effect of what I know, they're in. They, they're sold. Yeah. They want that. If you can give them results, they're, they're all in. And they're eager for it. And it's not just, do I look better when I look in the mirror or am I looking good in a bikini or a swimsuit when no, I go to the beach? It's v-? about performance. It's about performance. And there's such a different level of satisfaction. And it doesn't matter who the athlete is. They want to know. And there's a different level of satisfaction that comes with that. Because you have someone who the term compliance doesn't even come into play. You, you don't, It's like, you need to do this. Okay. Like, you're telling me this is going to make me better? Okay, I'll do it. And yeah, you get some lazy ones that come in. You get that with anything. They usually sort themselves out. But the, yeah, they, they sort quit. themselves out. And so the people that are left at the end of it aren't necessarily the hardest workers, but they're the ones who listen. They're the ones who say, all right, this is what he told me I need to do. I'm going to do it. And you find out that there is just this whole other world of training when that's who you get to work with. Okay. And so at the end of that conversation for the interview for the internship, I told him, like, this is what I want to do. He's like, all right, well, if you want to do it, I can offer you a job. And I started working part-time there while I finished up my last year okay. at school. 
And so there was this wonderful uh, transition of information where it's like literally the day I learned something, I could then go to work and use it. Okay. So I'd be sitting in biomechanics class and they're talking about, hey, when you're going into, you know, throwing a pitch and you have this amount of velocity as you're going through yada, yada, yada. I could then talk to kids, like high school pitchers that I was working with that afternoon and be like, here's what I just learned. I mean, I just drove from the classroom where <laughs> I learned it and here it is. This is what I was just told. Let's try this out. Let's try it out. And it was fantastic. It, one, it was satisfying that there were people who wanted to hear it. And that's always nice. But it was also an incredible educational experience because a lot of what I've read when it comes to remembering things, retaining information, it's the use of it in certain increments of time. So uh, you read it and then the next day, reflect, or at the end of the day, reflect on it. And then the next day, reflect on it again. And every time that you reflect on it, there's this patterning effect where your your mind retains it. Okay. Reminder, reminder, reminder. So not only was I getting a verbal reminder every time I told somebody, I was getting a visual reminder of, oh, this is what it looks like when they do what I say. And there's that auditory reminder, and I'm saying it day after day after day to kids, and I'm getting different circumstances and different scenarios where I'm going, oh, this is the effect when it's used this way, and here's another effect when it's used that way, and here's how it can correct this in A, B, and C. And there's so much learning that happens off of one thing that I learned in the classroom that's used a dozen different ways with the kids and you're thinking on your feet all the time and it's just constantly rewarding. Okay. The problem that arose was not the reward or the satisfaction. It was that there was a limit on what I could do. Just from your time or not what do you mean? Level of experience in the scope of the practice. Okay. So as a strength coach, if a kid comes in, he's like, I'm sore. I don't move well. The best that I could do at that time with what I knew was say, there's a foam roller. There's a lacrosse ball. I'll stretch you on the table. But simultaneously, I was working at a chiropractic office. Uh, when I came back from the military, I was offered a job because I said I could work weekends. I, you know, I was in school working or going to class most days. I did a show. Uh, a lady in the cast her, overheard me say that I needed to try to find a part-time job. And she goes, well, I have an opening at the chiropractic office here in Fairlawn. Would you be interested in coming in and meeting the guy? So I came in, I met him, and he said, you know, I need someone to work Saturday mornings. I said, that's perfect. That's really the only time I have oh, is on weekends. Wow. So, um, I started working there, and he said that he would adjust me for free. So I had my first experience getting adjusted. Okay. And... Aside from being very nervous about having my neck adjusted, first time took a little while before I it was able. It freaks a lot of people yeah. out. Yeah, um, I felt a lot better, and the thing was, I didn't have complaints. I didn't go in to get adjusted, be like, "Oh, I can barely move. My back really hurts." Yeah. Or like you know, my my hips don't seem like they're moving right. Or I, just, I can't reach overhead. No, I was just like, I felt what I thought was fine, and came out even better. But I would watch people over the years come in who could barely walk and they were hobbling yeah and they would come out and i'm not saying they weren't still in pain or there wasn't some dysfunction going on but they were better and we're talking 30 45 minutes later they were better yeah because he's able to reposition 
and allow the nervous system to start doing its job. Yeah, which which is the great thing about chiropractic care. Yeah. But a problem is, I think a lot of people they wait too long. Yeah, they're in real problems, yeah. and that's not how chiropractic care works. Ooh. It's it's more of preventive maintenance yeah. than it actually is fixing problems. Keep yourself feeling good and put yourself in a position where your body can continually heal itself. Yeah. Uh, by doing it regularly, and then you don't get to those really bad. Exactly. Yeah. Because you know, like I didn't, I didn't start going to a chiropractor until I, I messed up my back in the gym. I was doing a clean, and it just something popped. It was I could barely sit. I could barely walk. It was awful. Now, granted, it wasn't the clean that was the problem. People were like, oh, that's why I don't work out because I don't want to get hurt. And like, oh, Jesus, people, come on. Right. Like, think for yourself for a second. Like, this was a problem that had happened from sports, from being a kid, from moving around, from falling off of ladders, and all kinds of crazy things that we've done, you know, in our lives. And that that was just finally like the last straw. That was all she wrote. And I went to my my chiropractor, uh, Maximilian Zart of the Healthiest Two Chiropractic Center. And, and he started to work on me. And unfortunately, because I was so bad, mm-hmm. I had to go in a lot because, you know, he can adjust me and can, can kind of get me moving in the right direction, yeah. but he couldn't keep me to where my body was supposed to be. So it took a lot of visits. And then now I just kind of go back for maintenance and right. get tuned up. And he keeps me lifting if I have a, like right now I've got a problem with my hip. So he's doing, you know, therapy on my hip, trying to get that better, you know, and he's just, he's just kind of keeping me kind of moving along, but you know, it, it took it took months for him to kind of get my back kind of aligned to where it was to where it was supposed to be, right. <laughs> and then I you know hit a bunch of PRs in the gym and did better than I've ever done in my life because actually things were working the way they were supposed to. Right, so it's kind of amazing how that works. <laughs> and unfortunately, I've had this conversation quite a bit at the gym with people who ask, you know, should I go get adjusted? And it's like, yes. Yes, you should go get adjusted. As long as it's a quality person that you exactly. can trust. Because unfortunately, I've been adjusted by some bad ones as well. And somehow I got really lucky that my first and only experience at that age with chiropractic was this doctor. That I then, again, coming back to somehow I managed to keep this very naive, ignorant mindset on multiple circumstances. And this is another one of them. I thought all chiropractors were like that. Nope. We're, no. <laughs> all, all people are not created equal. No. And he was, <laughs> Some are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. But I got really lucky that he wasn't one of them. And so assuming that this was you know, the so case. That's, that's kind of interesting. You had like a great experience right off the bat. Yeah. Because most people I've talked to kind of had some bad ones and then are really hesitant. Yeah. And then you send them to a good one and like, oh my goodness, it's such a night and day difference. Yeah. So I had the day version right away okay. with this doctor. Good for you. That's awesome. And like I was saying throughout the years, watching people come in and having in in a short period of time a very high turnaround on you know how they were able to move and the amount of pain that they were feeling with movement and just the the quality of movement that they had. And so you have these athletes that are coming in, they're saying, I'm sore, I'm tight, I can't move. And the best that I can do, based on what I know and what I'm allowed to do, are these three things. But there's a person I work with every weekend who's doing so much more in the same amount of time that I have an athlete coming in to train. Okay. And I hate, hate not knowing how to do something. Uh-oh. So, so they, they have information you don't have. Exactly. I like, need this information. This is, this is the mystical wizard up on the hill who knows how to create potions that just save people. And it's like, <laughs> I need that knowledge. I have to have it. <laughs> and so I've always been a person who very quickly will be able to decide, no, that's not for me. Yes, it is for me. And I knew that chiropractic wasn't for me. 
You didn't want to be a chiropractor. I didn't want to be a chiropractor. No. It's it's a tough profession. It is. It really is. Having worked in it, having watched them run that business and seen the different aspects of it and the different sides of it and everything that goes into it, I it wasn't the running the business aspect that I didn't feel like I could do, but I didn't have a passion for chiropractic. Okay. I loved what it did. I loved how much it helped me and I loved, you know, seeing being able to recommend those doctors at yes. that clinic. People who are good at it just Right. Like let, you, let them do their thing. Right. Go, please. Like and all like are you hurting? Like please come see this doctor. Like I want you to meet this person. However, I never want to be the doctor that you come see for chiropractic. I want to be the person who's the intermediary like this is you need to go see him. Like, I, like go out there and preach it to the world that this is a person you need to go see. Yeah. But at the same time, I didn't want to not be as effective in my own way as that. Okay. Like that level of care in my mind now exists. And I want to be able to provide something as equally powerful, if not that. Okay. But just different kind of in your own way. Right. And something that I feel passionate about. I don't want to just do it to do it. I want to be passionate about it because otherwise it'll be... Similar to going into theater, yes, where it's like you get stuck with all the humdrum of getting everything just to, just to get it right. done. I'm, I'm not but you're just it. you're just going through the motions, and you don't have any inspiration whatsoever to do the work. There's yeah. always work involved. Oh, and anything, you anything you ever do, and just yeah. because you're doing it, if you're not passionate about doing it, you're not going to do the things that need to. Well, get fortunately, done. with that, then it becomes work, exactly. and you start to dread it. Like, oh, it's Monday, I got to go to work. Yeah. Whereas, if like you said, if you have passion for it, mm-hmm. yeah, it's work and it's got to get done, but you're enjoying it along the way. Exactly. So it drives you to be even better at it, to excel at it. Yes, perfect. So I knew that chiropractic wasn't that, but it exists in there. There's this level of healing that I want to be able to learn and therefore provide. And I had a conversation with the boss after working there for three years. And he said, "Um, I'm interested in moving you into like an assistant manager or manager position. I said, I really appreciate that. But I need you to know before you do that, like I am now considering going back to school. And it was like a definitive point. Okay. Whereas like you can step into this position at the gym, continue doing what you are enjoying doing and being effective at, and now have new responsibility and new opportunities. Or you can go this other road that you're not sure about, you have no full experience with, and you can see what happens. And you can hope that you're going to learn something that allows you to do what you've been witnessing for the past several years. And so I applied to massage school. Okay. And the actual plan, if there was a plan, there was kind of a plan. Well, there's always kind of a there, plan. There but was, you never really know what it is no. until you start to just get going on it, which is It was like the shadow scary, of a rough draft. Which is unfortunately <laughs> why most people never take that chance. Right. Which is why they just, okay, I'll just have a job. I'll do my thing and not worry about it because it, they're, yeah. they're all afraid of the unknown, which I understand. I totally get it. Um. So on that line, why I decided to do this, like, not, I don't mean like the decisions behind it, but what allowed me to do it coming back even to what we first said, like I do the things that I'm scared of. Okay. Because it's that area of like what happens now? Like who am I now if I go into this area that I don't know? Um, I wanted to like just push that boundary. I wanted to I, – I was very comfortable as a strength coach. And I wanted to push a boundary on 
what happens about who I am as whether it's a healthcare provider or as a coach, however you want to think about it, whatever label you want to put on that. Okay. What happens when I move into a field that I know nothing about? I don't know about massage. I don't know about physical therapy or, you know, chiropractic. I've worked in that realm, but I don't know how to do it. Yeah. So who do I become when I become someone who can do that? How does that change my ability to coach? Um, how does that change how I interact with clients? And I wanted to know, like, that idea of being chronically curious about it. And when I first went into massage, the, the plan, like I said, if there was one, was that I was going to get enough credits because my exercise science, I didn't have enough credits to apply to PT school. Okay. Like I needed more chemistry credits and a couple of other things. Yeah. Um, so I would go to massage school. In the process of getting that license, because a handful of the classes I needed to qualify for PT school were involved in the program Stark State for massage. Okay. And I would also go take some chemistry classes in addition to that while I was there, just tag it all on. And then when I graduated, I would have a degree in massage therapy, and I could also then apply for physical therapy school. Well, while I'm in massage school, I come up with the idea that what would be a good business is to only work with athletes. When I have, when I become a physical therapist, that's what I want to do. Because I had started uh, listening to uh, Mike Reinold, and he's a physical therapist. He has a podcast um, up in Boston, and he's a cash-based physical therapist. Okay. It's like, this is great. I don't want to work in a clinic. I don't want to do pre- or post-surgery for knee replacements or shoulder replacements. I did an internship when I was at Kent State with, you know, physical therapy over at Mercy Medical. I sat there and I, you know, I watched them work on people that were anywhere from like 55 to 75 coming in after getting hip replaced or a knee replaced. And like, no offense to it, but again, that's another area that it's not fulfilling. Yes, yeah, not what you wanted to not do. Not what I wanted to do. But a physical therapist has the education that I want. They know things at that level with the chiropractor that could be that stepping stone that I need to be able to provide that level of care to somebody that the chiropractor can. So how do, how do I justify going to get physical therapy or, you know, doctor to physical therapy to have that education? If I'm going to end up working in a clinic where I'm working with people that I don't want to work with, like how do I get back to working with athletes? Yeah. How do I go back to being a strength coach once I have a physical therapy degree? Because even if it did exist at that time, it wasn't something that was being talked about quite a bit. And it's something that I certainly wasn't exposed to was the idea that there are now all of these physical therapists who are also strength coaches and they work in a gym, like a, like a training gym, not just, you know, someone who is loosely associated with, you know, uh, a community or like you said, like a commercial gym. Yeah. And I hear Mike Reynolds talking about it. And it's like, I could be a cash-based PT. I don't know anything about it. I just jump into it. I'm like, I'm, this is what I'm doing. No, we're just going for it. Let's we go. go. Let's <laughs> diving in. So, yeah, I'll just work with athletes. So I'm, I'm not going to be in a spa with massage therapy or I'm not going to be in a clinic with physical therapy. I'm just, I'm going to be in my own place. I'm going to be cash-based. I'm going to work only with athletes. It's going to be great. I've already decided this is going to work. This is going to be awesome. Yeah. And uh, I start 
building this this business plan off of it. And I say business plan really loosely because in my mind is the first business plan ever made. So of course it was amazing and fantastic. Of course it has to be right. Right. But I don't know how to actually make a business plan. So it was like, (laughs) I think it was on like a sticky note where it was like, step one, make a business. Step two, only work with athletes. Step three, like get to a college setting kind of thing. Sounds like a recipe for success. Yeah. It's like one, here we go. Easy peasy. How are you going to do it? Doesn't matter. Just going to throw it out there to the universe and hope they provide. Um, <laughs> and then I, uh, my girlfriend, she's uh, working out at Midnight City CrossFit at the time. And I tell her, I need to find a 24-hour gym. Like, I was going to the Y for a long time um, because they had a military discount. Okay. That was saving me money. But I think they closed at like 9 or 9.30 or something like that. Yeah. Like, I didn't get home from work at the time until at least 8.30, if not 9. So it was impossible to get in there and actually train. So I wanted to find a 24-hour place that wasn't something like Planet Fitness. And lo and behold, Unrivaled Strength you know, opens up right next to Midnight City. So you should go look at that. I'm like, okay. So I go over there and I talk to Justin and I get signed up. And you know she goes and does her workout and I'm in there and I'm lifting and then you know, I had been telling her, like, I, I want to try to find more, you know, more clients because I was doing uh, some, like, student massage, which I don't know if this was technically legal. <laughs> at the t- uh, it's legal, but it's that weird gray area yeah. where it's like, I'm doing massage, and but I can't charge people because I'm not licensed. So I'm not saying that I'm a massage therapist. I'm saying I'm a student massage therapist in training. And so I need to get practice hours. And if any of my teachers ever hear this, like I really apologize. But um, I have to do a certain number of hours anyway. So if I say, like, I'm going to do this for free, but if you want to make a donation, a suggested price could be like $20 for the hour. So it was really, really cheap, but I needed the practice hours. And I told her I wanted to find more people to do that. And she's like, well, you should go talk to the owner in Midnight City to see if he wants you to do sports massage. And I was like, there's no way. He doesn't know me. Yeah. She's like, just go ask him. Just find out. I was like, fine, fine, fine. So I go in there and the whole conversation lasted about three seconds. I was like, hey, Seth, um, I'm Dane. I was just wondering if you would want, would be interested in having me do sports massage here. He's like, yep. Done. Okay. Like, oh, okay. I In my mind, I had this whole pitch. Getting ready, like, here are the benefits, and here's what we can do in the number of days, and yada, yada. He's like, yep. Like, oh, okay. That was easy. <laughs> well, uh, can every meeting in the future be just like this? It'd be fantastic. No, the answer no. is no. <laughs> no. The answer is no. <laughs> Again, first scenario, I happen to get the gold mine. It was like, <laughs> my first experience is amazing. So, rude awakening after that one. <laughs> uh, Welcome to the real world yes. now. <laughs> so, I started doing that. And so, anyway, so that whole story is accumulates to this point where I realize I'm already, I start doing the thing that I wanted to do as a physical therapist. The whole image in my head that I had for physical therapy was just for the sake of the education. Yeah. That I need to have that doctorate to say, I am now a physical therapist and I can do these things. Yeah. But I only wanted to do the physical therapy so that I had the resources even just if they were just education the and the knowledge of helping people to start a business where I could work with athletes in a gym setting and that have be my, like my sole income was just working on people who train and any age, any level. Like that's all I wanted to do. 
And suddenly I was doing that. Yeah. Just, you from know, a three-second conversation. From a three-second conversation. Now I'm working. Hey, I want to do this. Is that okay? <laughs> yes. Awesome. Let's do it. Business plan. Check. He's like, working my way down. With athletes. Yes. <laughs> See, I'm on step two. This is fantastic. That took all of like a week. Um, no wonder things go so Be a multi-gazillionaire in <laughs> three weeks. At this rate, I'm bound for success and I'll be retired in five years. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> so then I started having uh, some of the clients from Unrivaled coming over getting worked on to some of the powerlifters, some of the people who were just training over there. And so I started having like a, a mix of the two. And things were going really well. And I realized that I don't need to have the doctorate of physical therapy in order to do what it is I wanted to do. I was I had this delusion in my head that success would only come if you had that piece of paper. That piece of paper. Well there's a reason for that. It's because these colleges spend a lot of money on advertising to tell you that. Yeah. Because that's how they make money. Yes. And guess what? They're pretty damn good at it. <laughs> yes they are. <laughs> they spend millions of dollars to teach kids that. And unless I had had that business opportunity like slapping me in the face, yeah. I think I still would have You probably would have gone down that road yeah. just because you thought you would have had to. Right. And you, then you would have gotten it, honestly, and gotten out and started doing that and realized, shit, I didn't need this. No. <laughs> I wasted my time. Now, don't get me wrong. I have friends who are physical therapists. I have friends who are chiropractors, and they know an incredible amount of information, whether it's from the, the schooling that they went to or – uh, the life experience that they had outside of school afterward and things that they learned. And I, like no exaggeration, I am in awe of some of the things that they are able to figure out that I will probably never know because uh, that's not my area of expertise. Yes. And the things that they can do are just, they're fantastic. They're astounding. And I love that there are professions at that level. But I've also come to accept that that's not going to be me. I'm not going to do what they do. But that doesn't mean that I am in any way less capable of helping yeah. in my way because, like you said, I don't have that piece of paper. Um, so I don't know where we were. I just, that was. A, <laughs> you started doing number two on the business plan oh, yeah, checklist. So that like, whole thing. You, you've, you've already done what you're doing. You're, you're doing massage. Okay. So I finished out massage kinda. school. I finished <laughs> out massage school after the realization of, you know, I don't need to go to PT school. And the business was already semi-established because I was kind of doing it on the side, whether that's legal or not. It's, it's, it's a gray area. Yeah. And you just kind of have to work in there and just yeah. kind of do what you got to <laughs> do to make it work. Um, and I started reaching out to a couple of CrossFit gyms and seeing, and you're right, none of the conversations that happened after that were nearly as easy no. as that first one. Not going to Or as productive or as lucrative. Um, <laughs> but That's business. And, yeah. And I got the whole education on that part. But- Coming back to the idea of the passion, suddenly I had this thing that every time that something came up that was business related and required, it became exciting. And it was stupid stuff that never would have been exciting. Like, oh, I get to start doing my own tax planning. Like, no one gets excited about taxes. I don't, no, I have a I, friend who's a CPA and he doesn't get excited about I usually about get really pissed. <laughs> right. Because I have what my boss tells me I make. And then I know what I have for my bills. That's before I pay property taxes and gas tax and sales tax and all these other kind of fucking taxes I pay. And I'm like, where's my money going? This is fucking ridiculous. No, I, I kind of – because right now it's, it's tax time. Yeah. And I've been procrastinating because I hate doing my taxes. But there was this idea in my head that I get to do business taxes. That means I have a business. 
Like, I'm a business owner. Holy shit. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. You put together a business plan. Yeah. You're there. Uh, it's like, step one, make a business plan. Step two. And work with athletes. <laughs> uh, or what's that joke where it's like, step one, order business cards. Step two, you're a business owner. Congratulations. <laughs> um, it was like that. And then what was the other thing? Like, I had to start paying rent. And I was like, not that I wanted to give money away, but that means, like, I'm a... These people have accepted that I am now established in their business. They're, whether it's a handshake or a piece of paper, there are now people who are expecting me to be there. Yes. That means I'm legitimate. <laughs> I'm, it's not just a random conversation like, hey, do you mind if I stop in? Like, There's a level of consistency here. And that, to me, felt like a milestone, even though it was a very early milestone in the process, where I, I felt accomplished. Like I am an actual business owner. It's a you know solopreneur. I'm a business of one, but like it happened. It happened on a random conversation. Like it, I blinked my eyes and it exists. Yeah, kind of thing. And it was fantastic. It was every time something came up, it's like, oh, I need business shirts. Like I need something that actually has my name on it. Oh shit, I need a name. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, there's three things. I have to find a place that's going to make them, and I have to figure out how much that's going to cost. I need to know what they look like, and before I can do that, I need to have a logo and a, how to, a logo and a name yeah. for the business might help put on there. <laughs> you have a blank shirt. Hey, it's my new business plan. But what was fun is all of it felt authentic. Coming back to the idea, like it felt like an express. It was me coming up with it. I didn't sit back and go, you know what? I should make a business. Ooh. I should come up with a cool name for a business first. And I wasn't creating things in order to say I owned a business. I was in the deep of it where it's like, I need to do this now. Holy crap, this came up. It's like, <laughs> all right, so I need a name. We're now at that point where I need to, <laughs> I need to, it's not just Dean Lee Massage. I need to have an actual name. Like, what can it be? And it was during a conversation with another CrossFit gym, and they wanted me to come in with. Um, a mission statement. I was like, well, shit, I need a mission statement now. <laughs> so I remember sitting outside of Starbucks and I was drinking a bunch of coffee and it was a really nice day and I was writing it out. And I remember writing, I want to be able to provide a an elite level of recovery for athletes. And I was like, fuck, that's there it. There it is. That is it. Like, Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> Boom. You get enough of that in you and all kinds of wonderful ideas start coming out. And well, ideas come out and then if you few of them are wonderful. And hopefully. Hopefully. And if they're on <laughs> you, paper. You got to get them out first. Then you got to find the good <laughs> just ones. Just start writing really fast. And I remember the first time I said it, I said it to my brother-in-law. I went to visit and I told him, I was like, I was almost nervous to ask anyone's opinion on it. Not because I thought they would say it was bad, but you know, it's like this infant of an idea where it's like, what do you think? This is this is what I got. Like, does it sound okay? He goes, Yeah, I really like it. I was like, Yes, one per <laughs> if nothing else, one person really likes this idea. Um, and I just went with it. I was like, You know, fuck it, I'm jumping in. Let's go. Like, I, elite recovery. Put it on a shirt. Order the shirt. Uh, what's your logo? I don't know. Do do it in Iron Cross. It's like I do gymnastics. What does that have to do with the massage? I don't care. We're going with it. <laughs> and like, it just like I just you just make these decisions. Like, this is good. This and what I had to be careful of is making haphazard choices. I knew that I needed to make a decision on like okay, yeah, you need a logo. But I also didn't want to just say, all right, here's a random logo. I wanted to make a quick decision and I, I didn't mean or I didn't mind being spontaneous about yeah. it. 
but at the same time, as quick as I made them, they always felt right. Okay. They might not have been, if I had sat down and deliberated the exact version of that choice, but they were in the ballpark. Okay. So, yes, I would have done something that was gymnastics related for a logo, and it probably would have been an Iron Cross. Would it have been that exact picture for the Iron Cross? Maybe not. Maybe I could have made that look better. Maybe I could have had a different design for it, or you know, when I did the t-shirts, I could have done something else with it, but there was never a time where I thought, nah, this is just, I'm doing it just to do it. Yeah. I needed to do it, and I did do it, but every choice resonated as truth, and I don't know if that was luck or if it was just sitting in my head for so long that by the time it came out, it felt like it was going really quickly. That's probably more of the thing because you had you had been preparing for this for years. Yeah. You didn't just all of a sudden decide, fuck it, <laughs> let's just try something completely different. No, like you had been preparing. You kind of were headed down that direction. You just let yourself be guided by that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I was exposed- most business owners have to learn to shoot from the hip. Yeah. And you're going to make mistakes and you got to be okay oh God, with yes. that <laughs> and realize that, okay, we'll fix it down the other end. But this, this is true. It's authentic. It's me. Let's go. I was exposed to it for years. And I didn't realize it until I was in the position that I was where I needed to be making decisions and looking ahead at you know, what comes next as far as what's your plan and what you need to be effective or as effective as you want to be. But like I said, I worked in the chiropractic clinic for seven years. I was exposed for those seven years, even if it was part-time, to what is good management? What is bad management? What are the decisions that they're making on a continuous basis? What are the things that they realized they needed to do as they grew? What did they change as they grew? You know, I worked in the gym setting where uh, with Mike, there was this constant uh, evolution of the process on how do we train better? What do we do differently? How do we implement things? What do we need in order to implement things? What equipment do we need to buy as the classes change, as the age changes, as the emphasis changes? Hey, when we move to the college level, what does that require of us? And you're inadvertently getting all of this exposure to circumstances that you use again. And there was never a moment during that where I was like, you know what, I'm going to open my own business someday, and so I should pay attention to this. No, again, it comes back to me being chronically curious and having this insatiable appetite for information. And as everything happened, without knowing it, I just retained it. Okay. And I don't mean like a photographic way. Well, of course it, not. But it's just like... These things happen over time and they, right. they get imprinted exactly. in Exactly. And you see what's a good decision, what's a bad one, and you have that voice in your head like, well, shit, I would never do that. <laughs> and that's a lesson right there. Or something happens, you're like, that's a really good idea. You know, if I ever owned a gym, that's what I would do. And you're like, there's another lesson. And it just gets filed away. And so suddenly you're in a position where you're on your own business and you're like, all right, I'm not a strength coach and I'm not a chiropractor. But how can I take what I learned and apply it either now or a future situation that I want to get to? And how do I get to it? And there were just years and years of lessons that were put in there that when things started happening, it was just like, go, 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 just keep up. Because you already, you know what to do, even as if you've never done it, you don't know exactly how to do it. Okay. Because you were taught by these chiropractors, you were taught by this, you know, business owner at Premier Support Conditioning, you were taught by, I mean, half of the things that I've learned from a uh, self-employed mindset is from my stepdad, because he's a lawyer, he owns his own practice. 
So I would call, I still, I call him up all the time. I'm like, I have this going on. He goes, well, <laughs> do you do A, B, or C? He's like, no. Like something, here's an easy example. Like uh, a couple of years ago on a phone call, he's like, have you ever looked at your monthly expenses? Like, well, kind of. He goes, no, like with a spreadsheet, like write down literally every single thing. How much does it cost you? How much do you make? How many hours a week do you actually work? How much are you charging for those hours? What's the breakdown? Include the amount of time that you're driving because that's still money that still you're paying. Time. That's work time. Are you getting paid for that? No. He goes, well, that means you're losing time per hour. And if you have to make a certain amount of money per day, per week, per month in order to cover those monthly expenses, and you don't know how much you're making, how do you know how much to charge? I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's, it's kind of nice to have good mentors. Yeah. And, and I, I talk about this a lot in regular life. You need mentors <laughs> in multiple areas of your life. Now, granted, maybe, maybe your stepdad, you don't go to him for you know strength training advice because he doesn't know, oh. but he can tell you a lot about running a business because yeah. he's run his own for a long time. So it's great to have him as a resource for mm-hmm. that kind of stuff where you can go to somebody else for other areas of your life where I think a lot of people think, that, oh, my mentor is a one-stop shop for everything. No. no. <laughs> you have multiple mentors in different areas of your life. Like, like my parents, great example. Like they are wonderful people, you know, and, and I grew up in an abnormal home. Like mom and dad were married. They loved each other. Mom stayed at home. Dad works. You know, it's, it, it was abnormal. I, I, I need therapy. You know, it's, cause I mean, most, most kids, like they have, you know, you know, divided homes and step parents and this and that. Like, nope, nope, still together, still love each other today. It's, 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 you know, it's, I don't know how I'm so normal. <laughs> but, uh, they didn't teach me much about finances because well they just they didn't know what they didn't know they were doing the best they could to right. get by and they did you know okay things but I learned so much more out of it from another friend of mine who'd read some great books and recommended some good things to me and I listened to a bunch of CDs from successful business owners talking about how to deal with finances and staying out of debt and doing these kind of things I learned so much more just from that mm. it's not that my parents. It's not that I can't go to them for life advice and for uh, relationship advice. I had to stay married for, you know, for uh, almost 40 years now, I think. You know, it's like I, that that kind of stuff I can talk to them about. But finances, I don't really talk to them about it. Actually, they kind of come to me and ask questions now, you know, because like, I just I have a little bit more knowledge than they do. I may not have better results or anything like that, but it's just there's nothing wrong with having multiple different mentors in different areas no. of your life. I got lucky with that. another scenario where I got very lucky that the people I was around were inadvertently very good mentors. You know, I never sat down with the chiropractors and was like, hey, can you just, you know, teach me a few things? And I would ask them questions from time to time, but I would say a majority of the things I learned were done just because I happened to be there. Okay. And something happened. And looking back. And that on, might just be that, you know, insatiable curiosity yeah, you have to yeah. want to learn. And the other thing, and I don't know if this is tooting my own horn, but you know, I've tooted all the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm a believer that there is no scenario that you can't learn something. Absolutely. So even the worst scenario. Those are usually the best ones to learn from. They hurt the most. They do. And they fucking suck. But if you can get a lesson out of it, even if it's I will never do that, then you that is worth it. I'm not yes. saying it's easy and I'm no. not saying that you ever want to do it again or that it isn't going to be painful or leave scars. I get that. And there have certainly been situations that in a heartbeat, I would trade back. And I don't want those lessons. I legitimately do not want to know those things. But 
I have gone my entire life thinking, even before I knew I was thinking it, there is never a scenario where you can't learn something. And Absolutely. So, whether that comes from the insatiable curiosity or the insatiable curiosity comes from that, I don't know. Well, I think but, hopefully people start to learn that lesson in life because a lot of people, they tend to go around making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Like, hey, there's a bunch of new ones out there, people. Yeah. <laughs> learn from that one. Go on to a new one. Like, era, and one of my favorite things, there are no mistakes. There's only things you refuse to learn. Yes. So, or no, I'm sorry, there their uh, failure is only when you decide not to learn from mistakes is another one. Okay, yeah. I've heard that one before. I mean, I know, listened to a CD a long time ago where uh, the speaker was talking about, like, what's the opposite of winning? Do you want me to... I'm asking the question. What's the opposite of winning? I would say not learning. Not learning. Okay. Not exactly. Most people, I think, would probably say losing. Mm. Right. Well, the, the speaker said quitting. Oh, Okay. I was like, I like that. Oh, I like that a lot yeah. because I I, t- I taught this to my daughter at a very young age. Like, hey, sometimes you win, sometimes you'll learn. Okay, because you're not always going to win. I don't care if you're the most prepared. There's always going to be people better. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. There's nothing you can do about that. But you got to go in. And I always told her, it's like, give your hardest effort. Go in there, do you. Don't worry about anything else. If you win, that's awesome. If not, hey, we've got a chance to learn and work on some new things. That's no problem. And guess what? If you get to the top of your field, uh, she likes to play basketball. You know, it's like if you get to the top of your field and you're, you're playing super hard and you're loving it and your teams, you guys are having fun, you guys go out there and you guys play an amazing game and you get smoked by a team that's just better than you. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Nothing wrong with that. You went out there, you did your thing, you got nothing to be ashamed of. Don't be sad. Don't cry. Don't worry about it. Realize, okay, cool. Hey, we played great. We could do this better. We could do that better. Let's work yeah. on these things and let's let's keep moving forward. I could remember multiple times on that idea of what you said, like be prepared. That there were times where I, I got my ass kicked in <laughs> things, but I came away from it feeling fine. As you should. Because I knew that that was everything I had. And I was prepared to be the best that I could be at that time. I can look back and say there was literally nothing else I could, as far as I knew at that time, there was nothing else I could have done to have done a better job. Yeah, who you were in that moment right. did was, the best you could. Right. And then there are other times where, you know, I've won or succeeded and go, that wasn't it. I didn't earn that. I didn't earn that. I got lucky that someone else yep. wasn't better yep. because I didn't show up. Um, So, no, I agree. I agree. I like that, the idea that sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. And the best that you can do is just prepare. I like that. I don't know where we were. You were, t- you were talking about your mentors with your business. You're good you're at talking- that, by the way. You're doing a really good job coming back. Well, yes. <laughs> you, trust uh, me, you're not near as bad as Dan was. Dan was oh. all over the place. Oh, my God. We had so much fun. <laughs> oh, of course, there was beer involved with that one. Now we're, we're just hopped up on a little bit of caffeine. Yeah. But- <laughs> um, I can only imagine listening to this afterward and realizing how fast the conversation is going. It's just like the amount of caffeine that's like rushing through is like – Million no, no, it's, it's been that. very clear and concise. Don't <laughs> you worry about that. It's been really good. Um, so, okay, so the mentors and like I was saying, like learning things uh, from certain people and just trying to be good about who I can ask questions to and turning to certain people for advice has always been – I've never been embarrassed by that. You shouldn't be. A lot uh, of people are because their ego gets in the way. Like you, like you pe- get nervous. People need to stop and yeah. realize – Guess what? It doesn't make you less of a person to ask for help. Guess what? It makes you more of a person. And the idea that if I ask someone something that they know more than me, 
I'm only benefiting in that process. Yes. And in they, multiple and they ways. want to tell you because yeah. they want you to learn from their mistakes, which yeah. is a very hard thing to do. And where I think some of the hiccups come is that when you instead ask someone something that you think that they think you should know, suddenly you now are admitting that you don't know as much as you want them to think you do. So, you know, if I go to Dan and I say, Dan, can you help me out with Olympic lifting? And when we're talking about my weightlifting yeah, coach, sorry, Dan, uh, Dan Bell. Yeah. If I go to Dan Bell and I say, can you help me with Olympic lifting? There is an obvious amount of information that he knows like, way more than I ever am going to. So that's a very easy approach. I mean, like, I know very little. You know a lot. Can you help me? But if I go to another massage therapist and I ask something that should be relatively straightforward and I say, hey, can you tell me about this myofascial release technique? There's an, a chance that someone other than myself in that position would be hesitant because they don't want to admit that they don't know something in their own field. They don't want to admit to another massage therapist that, can you tell me about something that I probably should have learned and I don't know about? So they have, if that happens, you know, just reword it a little bit like, hey, what are your thoughts on this technique? So you're not admitting that you don't know and the ego doesn't get in the way. But I, I, I'm a firm believer that you should be able to just go up to people and be honest. They yeah. Have, now, they have to be people that you know, like, and trust. Right. They're not going to stab you in the back and do all those kind of things. Those <laughs> people shouldn't be in your life in the first place. Right. And if they are, get rid of them. You know, so I've got no problem with coming up to someone and saying, hey, I don't know. Please help me with this. I'm struggling. You know, and I think more more people need to get to that point. But I'll do that constantly. Like, hey, what do you think about this? And, I mean, for example... When I asked my brother-in-law about the name of the business, he's in the active guard. He doesn't own a business. Yeah. He's never run one. Like, what does he know about naming it? It doesn't matter. Just, what's your opinion? What do you think? Yeah. You're just trying to bounce the idea yeah, off somebody else. Let me soundboard. Let me throw yeah. this out there. And even if for no other reason, asking somebody their opinion on something, even if you think that they think that you should know about it. It gets you thinking. It gets the ideas rolling. And they might say something from their own perspective that has absolutely nothing to do with massage or with recovery, and it just pops an idea into your head. Yep. And suddenly you're thinking about it in a whole new way. And if you have a new train of thought, even if it doesn't lead you anywhere, like if you have a new train of thought inspired by what they did, how is that a waste of time? And even if what they just said just reaffirms what you were already thinking, how is that a waste of time? Yeah. And there's no, like, your ego is getting in the way of your development there and it progression. Is. Ego again. Yeah. So, I don't, uh, I know, I won't say that there have been times where that has happened, or my nervousness You're of asking human. some. It's always going to happen. I, we always yeah. have to fight it. Uh, but in those situations, I really enjoy announcing that circle, or that feeling. Good. And I had lunch one time with a guy named Michael McGillicuddy and he's a massage therapist, sports massage therapist who runs a school down in Florida. I had this job interview that was down there. And as part of the interview, they're like, would you like to meet Mr. McGillicuddy? I was like, yes, yes. Yes. Like we studied his textbook when I was school. This would be fantastic. He's one of the guys who literally wrote a book about like what I do and what I practice. I would love to meet this guy. And I announced at dinner with him, Hey, I'm really nervous. We read your book when I was in school. Can I please ask you questions? He's like, yeah, absolutely. You go right ahead. 
And as soon as that barrier was broken, where I just announced, this is what I'm feeling. Yeah. This, um, I'm having kind of a fanboy moment right now, <laughs> which like, I don't know how much of a nerd it makes me to like be excited about having a conversation about massage with another massage therapist. But if you haven't realized now, he wrote the book, so he's yeah. kind of looking forward to that. <laughs> he kind of likes that subject too. <laughs> and just asking him questions about like the people that he knows and the people that he's worked with and things that he's done and just his experience in general and what it's like to be still doing it at his age having because you gotta understand like the the work span expectancy for massage isn't long i mean it's a toll on the body to do it uh it's not as abusive in any way as like olympic lifting or power lifting by any means but like when you're using your body that way for anywhere from three to seven or eight hours a day working on people, especially when you're working on athletes who require that much more force with the technique. Yep. Like it takes a toll. You can only do it for so long. And so a lot of the times the career expectancy is like five to 10 years. Oh, that's then, short. Yeah. Wow. Cause then you start getting issues with arthritis in the, the wrist. Or, it, it makes sense. I mean, yeah. a lot of times like I'll go up to my chiropractors and the girls will give me like an upper shoulder massage mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh my God, you're so tight. And like, well, some of that's just muscle. Yeah. You're used to soccer moms. I do, I, <laughs> I do a lot of overhead work doing Olympic weightlifting. So like, it's going to feel a little different. Yeah. But, so they have to work a lot harder for yeah. me. It's, and I feel bad because I'm a big guy to begin with and let, let alone like my, I'm tight because I, I do a lot of lifting and it's just, it is what it is. I'm, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I mean, I just, I kind of feel bad for them a lot of times because they have to work hard. And a lot of times yeah. I can see them afterward, their hands hurt. Yeah. Cause they're not used to it. I'm like, so I'm sorry. And those first, I would say six months when I was, uh, had my own practice it, before I figured out different techniques to adjust for the different body type, like my fingers, my thumbs, my wrist, they were killing me. Yeah. You have to do a lot of self care to keep up with that. And then you start making adjustments on the technique and, if you work in a establishment like a chiropractic office where you do massage on a certain type of body, for the most part, like I said, like it was soccer moms, and you have someone who comes in who actually lifts, and then you're doing the type of massage. What works for or, them. It works for them. It doesn't like, work for the athletes. Yeah, you're going to be hurting afterward. And so when you talk to a guy like Michael McGillicuddy, and he's been doing it now for 30-some years. Oh, wow. Like, how? Like, what do you know that I need to know or can know? And like, what can you teach me along with everything else as far as working with athletes and your experience with it? How has it changed in that time? Like when you look at the first time that sports massage was done at the Olympics, it was like 1986 or 1984. And they announced like, we're doing sports massage. Well, all right. That was 30 years ago. You were there. Like at the dawn of it at the highest level, what has changed in that time? And so I get to ask him all these questions, but the questions came out so much easier because there was no pretense asking like, well, you know, I remember studying about 1986 and the things that they were doing then. Can you tell me your opinion? But like, dude, I was born then. I don't know anything <laughs> about it. But once you announce, this is, I'm, I'm nervous. Like I am literally nervous talking to you because of how much more you know than I do. And I want to know it. So can I please ask you, is that okay? Can, do I have permission to be nervous around you and still ask you questions? And as soon as he said, yes, it was like, let's go. I was like, all right, how did you start? What were you doing? What are the techniques you like to use? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Do you do this technique? Do you not do this? Technique? What kind of athletes do you work with? Do you like working with runners better working with sprinters? Do you like working with you know, uh, swimmers versus anything else? Like what's your experience? Did you transition now that you're running a school? 
And you can see just thinking about it. Yeah. It just flies out. Like, I want to know anything and everything. And I've always had moments like that where as soon as I just announce, this is what I'm thinking, this is what I'm feeling, will you allow me to be that around you? The ego's gone. And whether that has to do with a theater background, whether it has to do with being chronically curious, whether it has to do with that idea that I care more about knowing than I do about like what per- someone thinks about me, and they just trumps it. And it's like, yeah, in other situations, I am egotistical and I get concerned about like how I present myself. But when it comes to talking with someone who might know something more than I do, I don't care because I just want to know. And so it's just like, no, 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 shut up. Ego, go away. <laughs> we, got, we got a job to do. We got things we want to ask. So uh, we're just going to announce to this person that we're vulnerable and we're going to be vulnerable with them long enough for the questions to come out. I don't know why. Uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's all of these things that have led you to yeah. who you are. And this is, this is what is so fun about these kind of conversations is that you can kind of go back and look back through all these things and put it all together and realize, oh, I, I kind of just became who I am because of all my past yeah. experiences. Everything has led to something else. It's not you just, okay, I cut all this off and we just left that behind that I'm yeah. you know, just moving on to brand new information. Like, no, no, this has all just made you who you are mm-hmm. and what, what you do. So that idea of wanting to always know things and the information and everything we uh, we move. I uh, say we. Sorry. Uh, when Justin Oliver, the owner of Unrivaled Strength, so he moved to a new space about a year, which ago, is where you were doing your sports massage. Where I'm doing at. massage now. He moves to a new space, and he asks if I would be willing to come over and do massage there in the same way that I'm doing massage at Midnight City. And I said, you know, absolutely. You know, half my clients at that point were members of Unrivaled, whether they were you know general members or part of the the powerlifting team. And so absolutely, you know, I come over and I start doing uh, some massages right on the turf. There is in the middle of the gym. I didn't have a room or anything. And just like, this is where I am. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, and then I find out Dan Bell is coming to coach there with rubber city weightlifting. And then the Olympic lifters are there and, and you guys will come over and you'll ask me if I'll do some work or I'll, you know, show you how to do something. And little by little, you're building this, you know, I guess trust. Yes. Um, in, I was going to say bridge though, because if for not so much trust, but like this willingness to ask questions, because I was this random person where Justin knew me and Lindsay knew me uh, and a couple of the people there knew me, but I wouldn't say the gym knew me. Okay. I literally was this random guy. And there are a couple of posts that I put on Facebook for the group where it's like the guy who does massage because people didn't know my name. <laughs> I was this person with a table on the turf who came and I did massage. And if you knew me, you came and talked to me. And if you didn't, you're like, there he is again. What's he doing here? <laughs> because it wasn't like ju- anyone saw Justin, the owner, to come over and talk to me. And he didn't like make an announcement to it. I put up a piece of paper on one of the pillars that said like, elite recovery sports massage. Here's the contact info. And it didn't have my name on it. Yeah. So no one made the connection really between the two things, or if they even saw that piece of paper, I think it's still there if anyone ever sees it, because I still have people who are standing next to that piece of paper and they're like, what's your phone number? And I'm like, it's, it's right there. That's me. <laughs> um, 
But there was this bridge that slowly started to get crossed where someone was willing to come over and ask a question. And when once that happened, once they saw Dan come over and ask me a question or they saw one of Justin's clients come over and say, hey, Justin said I need to talk to you, slowly people realized, oh, he's not a salesman. He's not here just to like try to get people to come get massage. I didn't want to walk around and be like, hey, what do you got hurting today? You want me to fix it? You're training. Yes, something hurts. Yeah. And that's the, like the worst sell in the world, like to just ask somebody, what hurts today? Because of course something's going to and be like, you know, I can help you with your wrist or your shoulder or your elbow. Or your... It's like no one wants that. They just want they want to show up. They want to do the workout. And if, yeah. if you want work done, you'll come ask. I just have to create an environment where you're comfortable doing that. And I'm not going to do that trying to be – like a greasy car salesman going around being like, hey, what you got going on today? Can I help you out with that? Let me show you what I got. Come on over to the table. <laughs> it comes back to the idea of like being authentic. That's not authentic. No, not at all. So this bridge starts getting developed where people see, oh, we can go to him. We don't have to avoid him so that he tries to sell us on something. And I just sat back and waited. I was like, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to show that I can do my job. I'm going to do it as well as I can. And if someone has something that they need worked on and they start to see that they can approach me about it, I'm going to create the environment for that. And I think that in some ways that really helped out, some ways that that didn't, because not from like an antisocial perspective, I think that there were a number of people that could have been helped out sooner Yeah, if I had gone and talked to them. Because there were conversations that happened, and I uh, granted, I mean, this is part of the athlete mindset, where it's like, well, it'll probably go away. Eh, it'll probably go away. Eh, it's been like three months. It'll it'll eventually just go away. It's got like, to, right? It's like, so you talk to him, it's like, hey, my elbow's been hurting me a little bit. You know, are there things that I can do for it? And it's like, well, did it just happen, or how long's been going on? It's been about six months. Like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, there are things you can do for it. Why didn't you come talk to me like five months ago? Like, well, I just figured, you know, it'd go away. Like, it gets worse, it gets better, it gets worse, it gets worse. It's like, those are the conversations that happen all the time. And, yeah, it's you know, pretty common with athletes. Yeah. <laughs> and you just think to yourself, like, how much of that time period could have been avoided initially? Like, now that it's established, people are willing to come talk to me a lot sooner. But how much of that time period and could have been avoided in the quality of training increased yeah but i mean but part of that's just a learning experience you come into a new environment you don't know exactly how to yeah. approach it and you, you got to just kind of sometimes you kind of just hang out until people realize mm-hmm. oh i can just go talk to him yeah. he'll figure some stuff out and we'll get a little bit of work done if i need it it's no big deal yeah. he's, not, he's not trying to sell me and everything I mean, he's not going <laughs> to charge me for asking him a question it's, it's no big deal and so on that point like that was one of the m- most exciting parts of being in the new space was when people started to come and ask because i mean you experienced it and a handful of the other people i love talking about it i love it like i will talk way more than people want to hear about (laughs) it it's like dude i got another set i gotta get to and it's been seven minutes like i know we're resting in between but let's go like i need to go do something like all right shut up for a second let me go do my exercise i'll be back or it's gotten to a point now where i'm like all right how much more do you have left? Talk to me when you're done because I'm going to go on a rant. <laughs> and it's going to be a while before you get back to what you're yeah, doing. So get your work done first yeah. and then come talk and to me. And then we can come talk. And part of that is because now that I have the opportunity, 
where that bridge has been built and that trust has been built, like, like I want to now make sure that we avoid those lapses in time where, you know, you go five or six months or even if it's less, let's say it's two or three months of something hurting when it doesn't have to. And I'm not somebody who is going to say, oh, you've been hurting for three months. Oh, I can definitely fix you. Come on, let's go. Like if you come to me and you say it's been hurting for a while and I can't do anything about it, whether it's because of how long it's been hurting or how bad it is, I'm not going to try to sell you. I'm like, no, I'm, you need to go see a physical therapist. Like I'll move people in the direction that I think is best. Yes. Based on my opinion. If I can't help someone, I'll, like, I'll do what I can, but I'll tell them up front. I like, I, I think that you also need either to see a chiropractor, like you need to see a physical therapist to help out with this. And part, again, I think part of that comes back to the whole authenticity thing because I've heard in all professions, it's not just massage or no, it's, any of them. It's all professions where they're like, I can. Anyone, anyone where there's people. All right. I can cure cancer with an adjustment or with exercise or with massage. It's like, you are really screwing the business right here. <laughs> you are hurting the profession. Yes. There's um, a lot more of that than the other ones, unfortunately. And then you end up having to fight like that stigma in order just to prove yourself when there's all this other, like just the baseline of what you're actually able to do, let alone the fun stuff that you're able to do for athletes. Like there's this whole realm of sports massage that is very exciting to me that you never even get to talk about because you spend so much time trying to convince them that all the bullshit that other therapists have said that's completely unfounded is wrong but like this small part right in the middle is true like the foundation of massage and what it can do like you have to prove that and you spend so much time and energy doing that you never get to this whole area over here yeah. which is sports massage and the fun stuff it's just like damn it <laughs> what have you done <sighs> and so it gets like I get frustrated, I get irritated with it because it's easy to do that. Yeah, I don't want to have to spend so much time arguing with people about what someone else said that was wrong, and I don't want to take the time if it's unnecessary over and over again to prove to them that there's a small part that's true, and then there's all this other bullshit. And if you just just forget that they said it, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to do it. Believe me on this one part and let me prove it to you. And once we're there, because you're an athlete and because you're training, let's move into this other realm called sports massage and let me show you what that can do. And it's gotten to a point now where like, I don't have to have that conversation with you guys yeah. at the gym. Um, and I am willing to say what I can do and can't do. And if that means that I refer you to a chiropractor, or I tell you that day, like, yeah, I would, I would like to work on you. However, I also know that the amount that I can help you today is probably going to be minimal with massage. So I will do it if you want to, but you're probably better served taking this time and going to see your chiro or see your physical therapist. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. No. You need to be honest and let the yeah. athlete know what they need. And yeah. There's a lot of things you can help with, especially if they come to you soon <laughs> mm -hmm. before it gets too bad. Then you can kind of fix the little bumps and bruises until – if, unless they wait too long, then it's a little tough shit. You got to go see somebody yeah. else because I can't help you a whole bunch. I can help you a little bit, but not a ton. Yeah. And that's your fault, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> but at that same time, I hate that. And I, that's the same thing that was happening when I was a strength coach. When I was watching athletes coming in saying that they have something going on that I can't help them with because I don't know how to help them with that. 
or I don't know enough to use the skills I have to be effective in that regard. Okay. And I, that just, it really irritates me. I well, hate yeah, that. but you also, you can't be a master of everything. No. You can only be no. a master of what you can spend right. the time to be a master of, which is why there's other professionals that you can yeah. work with to say, okay, hey, no, that's that's a little bit beyond me. You know, go see them and I can help you out with your recovery afterwards mm-hmm. or strengthening it or doing whatever the, whatever the, whatever the issue is. Right, here's here's an easy example. We had a, a swimmer at Akron where I do massage. Uh, she had a shoulder issue that was going on. Pretty and common with swimmers. Very common with swimmers. So they were assuming that it was tendonitis, bicep tendonitis. And they went through the protocols for that. No effect. Uh, gets worse, 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 worse. Six weeks out. They're doing, and I'm doing massage with her when I see her throughout the week. They're doing other uh, modalities with her with the athletic trainers. She's been to the physical therapist. I tried kneeling, and we get to a point where she finally goes and does a cortisone shot or a steroid shot of some kind. I don't know that it was specifically cortisone, and no effect whatsoever. And I'm I'm torn apart, not because just because someone is in pain. I don't. Uh, you obviously don't want someone just to you know not get better, and you know that's a struggle as a therapist to not be able to help someone. But you're watching an athlete in her prime not be able to compete and it is killing her. Yeah. She, like moved to tears because she can't do, hold on, sorry. Because she can't do what she came to school to do. Yeah. And you can't help her. And, and the worst part is that she's doing all the right things. Yeah. She's going to see the people. She's, she's doing the massage. She's not neglecting the work. She's icing probably. She's doing all the right things and sometimes that happens. And I just think, what if I know more? And you could help yeah. kind of fix yeah. that problem, which which I completely understand. And that's that, that's kind of what makes you special because you care. Whereas most people, unfortunately, come in, they just say, okay, I can do some massage or I'll send you over here. I'll do all that. And they, they don't really care. Yeah. You know, and then that's, and that, that's the difference of a good trainer and a bad one. And unfortunately, most of us know <laughs> more about yeah. the bad ones than the good ones. When you find yeah. a good one, fucking hold on to yeah. them. Don't let them go. So in those situations, thinking, like, even if I'm not the person who does it, knowing enough to send them to the person who will. Yes, to find the problem. Right. So, again, like you said, you can't be a master of everything. You I don't, just can't. There's not enough no, time. You know, need to know your limits. and But knowing who is the person that is the next step past your limit. So if my limit is soft tissue work and I realize, or not that I diagnose, but if I realize that you know, something that's going on with her shoulder might be able to be taken care of from a chiropractor. Yeah. And then making that suggestion like, hey, what if you go look at this? I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know the specifics of it. And I don't even know the chiropractor who can do this. But I know that um, someone else had a similar situation. They went to the chiropractor. They, they had this done. And it sounds like yours enough that you could go look into it. Yeah. You haven't tried it yet? You could go look into it. And if I have that piece of information, and that's actually what eventually ended up happening was that I was talking with a client at the gym and they mentioned that they had an issue with their what they thought was bicep tendonitis and they were the chiropractor and she was like, oh, you know, can I try something out? And did, and, uh, did a medial adjustment on the humeral joint to move the bicep tendon back into a groove. 
And so he tells me about this. I was like, that sounds really similar. I'm not a professional in yeah. it, but it sounds similar. So I find the information. I find this video. I send it off to the uh, to the coach to take a look at. And um, it ends up becoming a discussion. She goes to the chiropractor and she tries it out. And there was a, a certain amount of relief that came out of that. And so there's this like this weight that comes off your shoulder where I wasn't the one who did it. Yeah. But I found out enough. You, you knew enough so, yeah. of where it's helped somebody else. That you could send to see if yeah. that was a problem. Because you're not the expert. You no. can't tell. But you can send them to the person who was. And I had no idea if that was even the case. I could have sent that information over. And she's like, no, that doesn't sound like any of my symptoms whatsoever. But I was so passionate about trying to find something that this came along as like, I don't know if this is it. But if it works, please take this. Yes. And that... That kind of drive is something that it, it it's a daily thing where that's why I talk as much as I do because I didn't – like growing up as an athlete, granted, I didn't care as much as a lot of the people that I work with. I Like I was saying before, I enjoyed running for the sake of running. Yeah, just I, moving, being it, free. Just... I was not a competitor. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't mean like I was a bad runner or anything or um, I'm not – a high level gymnast by any means. I'm not much of a competitor. I like competition because it brings out this different side of me. Like I push harder, I yes. drive more, but competition makes you dig deep and decide who you really are. Right. There's a lot of good things to learn from that. But I I was on a team with competitors. I was on a team with people that they they went into this whole different place when it came to what they had to do. And uh, I had a friend, Aaron. He was like that. When you watched him run, he was a machine. Everything shut off except that race. Okay. And you could see it, like in his eyes, and like in the, just the way that he attacked a race. And it was amazing. I was never that guy. And, um, but I also knew that I wanted to know as much as I could about about the race, about the sport, about like, why, all right, if I'm running intervals, why am I running intervals? Why am I doing a 100, 200, or 400 and back down? Why am I doing it these times? Why am I resting the amount that I'm resting in between? Why do I have to walk instead of just stop? Why can't I lay down in between? Why, like, I want the specifics. I want the details. Yeah. On, or I hate to say it, but athletes, a lot of times perform better when they know a little bit less. Yeah. I mean, they're, like, they're usually a little bit better at just, do what I fucking tell you to yeah. do. Do the work, and you'll be great. Whereas uh, you're obviously a little bit too curious right, for that. Right. Which there's nothing wrong with that. No, but but it, it's hard to apply that in the other. <laughs> like it's hard to lose everything yeah. and just get so focused on your race right. that you just zone out and do your thing. And when I was in, when I was in college, and I was doing strength coach work. I was, uh, I was helping out at Jackson High School with their pole vault. I wasn't a, a coach there, but their coach worked at Mercy Medical and he helped me out when I did my internship and he knew that I was a gymnast. So he said, hey, can you help out with pole vaulting on the takeoff and the shapes as they're going through and also some of the running technique because that's part of what I did as a strength coach. And what was funny is because the kids knew that I was a sprint coach, they'd be like, hey, Dane, watch this race and tell me what's wrong. 
And there were two things that happened when I go to a track meet. There's the initial nostalgia, like, oh, we're back. <laughs> yes. That's an interesting feeling. And, and that, like, that sense of excitement, like, we're at a race. Like, it's time to compete there. Like, that idea of just being at the line or being in the blocks, uh, being in the uniform, and that feeling of, the like, the gun going off and going, that whole sense of excitement. And then this whole other mindset of analyzing takes over. Yes. And I want to see how everyone moves. Like, I want to see the knee height and the position as they're going through. I want to see the toe height as they're going through. I want to see the Z position to see if they're coming up at the proper angle as they're coming through the front stride. What's the back stride? How quick are they going through that heel lift? How hard are they coming down? How quick are they off the ground? I want to watch people's arm stride. I want to see the body lean. I want to see everything. Yeah, you're trying to dissect all the things that are going on. And that is fun to me. That's exciting to me. I want to know splits as they run a 400, as they hit the 200 meter mark. Like what's their kick after they hit 300 when like they're supposed to have the bear climb on their back and it just sucks on that last 400. Oh, no, no, hold on. Explain that now. The, the kick bear? and the bear climb. What's okay, going on here? So uh, when I was a runner, I always had a big kick and my coaches hated uh, no, it. What's a big kick? For... Big kick is the finishing like 100, 200 meters. Okay. Of any so, race. so the last little bit, yeah. all out, empty the gas tanks, yes. cross the finish line with nothing left, just collapse. Complete. Yeah. Death at the very yes. end. Um, I I had a big kick, and the coaches always said that I saved too much. Okay, and it didn't matter what race it was, except for the four hundred, because that's just all out death. Well, yeah, that, that's yeah. just a complete sprint the whole time. But from uh, eight hundred meters up to the five k and cross country, when it came down to the last 150, 200 meters, I know. So I said I wasn't a competitor, but if there was a competitive moment in me, it was that last kick. Okay. Where for some reason I could shift to a gear. It doesn't matter how tired I was. My body was just like, all right, go. Time, time to go. Yep. And I would take off. And like it would empty everything. Even if I didn't think I had anything, it would empty whatever the reserves were to the finish line. And I love that moment. Because you watch strategy leading up to that kick. And some people have it. Some people don't. Some people try and it just fails. Uh, some people go too early and you know it, they, they it peter out. Yeah. Some people wait too long. They don't get enough out of it. So watching the strategy of the setup, especially with like the 800, because you're already going pretty fast in an 800. Like, yeah, it's, it's still a sprint. To be able to go to a, a finishing kick at, on that last 200, it's difficult. It's really, really difficult because there's not much of a percentage change in the effort from one to the other. So the setup, as they come around the first lap under the next corner and where they're putting themselves so that the last, I'm sorry, the, the second the first straight on the second 200 and where they want to be right as they cross that line for the final 200. So if they're going to kick, how many people can they pass? Cause you're on the corner. You don't want to pass around the corner unless you're that fast. Cause you're going extra distance as you're going through. So you're watching this whole lineup of, do they have enough in the tank to be in the right spot on the first straightaway before the final 200 to take them if they're going to take them on the corner and how soon can they go? Because really good ones, and this is what my coach told me in high school, so it could have been changed, and maybe it was just pertinent to high school. The good ones would start at 250 and build, 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 take off at the 200, lose them by the next straightaway, and be home free. And if you had two people that were together, that's when it got really exciting because they're both dead. They've built up at the 250, they've taken off at the 200, they've gone around the corner, and they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, and they have nothing left for the last 100 meters. Okay. And for the 400 and the 800, that's where they say the bear climbs on your back. Because you hit this wall with the last 100 meters, and it literally feels like you have gained 
600 pounds <laughs> and your legs don't move and you can't pick them up and you can't push down hard enough and your arms are at your side and you're just gasping for air but nothing's coming into your lungs and you feel like you went from 100 miles an hour to two. Now, granted, most people watching won't be able to really no. tell the difference because you'll be going about the same speed. About the same speed. But the effort is yeah. different for the athlete. Yes. You've gone from what feels like a full-out sprint and you're fighting for that win to just like fighting for your life. <laughs> and that 100-meter mark at the very end just cannot be farther away. And you're like, I can't make it. I can't make it. And there were so many times that that bear got on my back and you just think to yourself, I could stop. I could stop right now and I'll take, I'll take the spot behind this guy. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Does not matter. I will just jog in and it won't even be that slow. It'll be a fast jog. It'll be, I'll lose a couple seconds because it just sucks so bad, <laughs> but I loved watching it. You show up and analyzing everything about that and trying to figure out from the very beginning, who's going to last, who isn't just based on running stride. And the kids did it to me because they knew that as soon as I watched, I got absorbed. Okay. And I would just start spitting things out. I was like, watch that guy right there. He's coming in for the kick. And I'm like, watch his stride. He's going to lose it. He doesn't have enough energy. Like, that's really inefficient arm swing. He's coming across. He can't get enough oxygen. He's closing off the rib cage. And I would be saying things out loud. Truth is, I wasn't talking to anybody. I was just announcing. You're just observing. I was observing. And they would listen to things that I'm saying. And I just, for the entire 400 or the 800 or the mile, I just wouldn't shut up. <laughs> I was like, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's really good. That's right. Because it's not always finding things that are wrong. Sometimes you're in awe. You're like, you just ran a 200 meter and like sub 23, like good 22 seconds as a high school. You're a sophomore. Holy shit. <laughs> like stay healthy. You've got a scholarship kind of thing um and some people listening to that they're like that's not a fast time i was like where i came from that was a fast time um but that mindset of analyzing was all like i love it i love it and i never had coaches who taught me that stuff well most of them just don't know they don't and i didn't know they didn't know i thought well you have that job and it's almost like not like a prerequisite, but like you get handed this job and it's assumed that you're going to know these things. Nope. No. Most of the coaches at that kind of level are just basically chaperones. They might know a little bit about a couple of things, yeah. but they don't know a lot about anything. And again, naively. You're like, oh, they're the coach. They got to know these yeah. things, right? Yeah. They're telling me to run this at a certain time. They must have figured that out from something, right? Like there's science to it, I'm sure. What's the science? Just go run, kid. It's like, oh, okay, he'll tell me later. No, it's because he doesn't know any better. Yeah. And the fact that I didn't have coaches who taught me, but I always wanted to know. Every time that I'm in a situation where someone asks me, that's what I reflect on. That what if this is a moment that they generally want to know for that particular thing as much as I wanted to know about everything? And if I give them a bullshit answer, if I just throw something out at them and I brush them off, what if they never learn? Or what if they dismiss it? What if they then dismiss me? And what if that problem that they have doesn't get resolved because they assume, well, no one's going to help me? So the opportunity, every time someone asks you a question, to then have an impact, not just on what they're asking about. Yeah. Someone comes up and says, hey, my elbow's been hurting for a while. What can I do? 
All right, let me show you. We're going to do five different things. I'm going to tell you how to do every one of them. I'm going to tell you why it works. So there's a buy-in effect. Like you're not just doing this to do this. You're doing this for this reason, in this order, for this amount of time, for this effect. And here's why it has that effect. They're armed. Like for the rest of their life, they have that knowledge. And they can use it again and again and again. Not just go through the motions. Yeah. And they can pass it on to someone else. And yes, there's like... Like, I'm not going to lie. There's a sense of ego that goes with it. Like, look, I know these things. I want to tell you about them. But it's making up for every time that I wanted to know something. And couldn't. And couldn't get told. And how many times, I mean, when you realize the difference in the quality of the answer, have you asked a question and someone brushes you off just because they don't want to answer? They don't want to take the time to give you a specific because to them, that conversation has nothing in it for them. I have asked, I don't know how many times, about information on conditioning for gymnastics. Like I coached for a handful of years, and my primary job when I was a gymnastics coach was strength and conditioning for these girls who were, I want to say between 8 and 15. Okay. Primarily around like the 11 to 13 range. Okay. And a lot of it was trial and error because I would go and I'd ask people who'd been doing it and I'd get bullshit answers. Well, you just got to do this. Okay. Well, how many days a week? Well, I mean, they're practicing five or six days a week, so just do that. Well, in my mind, I don't know. First of all, that's a completely inadequate amount of exercise to hit the requirements that they need to hit. Okay. And then you want me to do the exact same thing five or six days in a row? Like that goes against all principles of strength training, unless you're talking about doing this, this, and this. And then I would say that to them. They're like, what? I was like, I can't have this conversation with you (laughs) because I know how much I know about strength and conditioning. And I know how much there is to know about strength and conditioning. And there's a big gap. Yeah. Like I know the small percentage, small amount, and there's all this wealth of information out there. And, you know, a portion of that's applicable gymnastics and some of it isn't. I get that. But there's still a wealth of information about gymnastics conditioning and strength training that I don't know. And I'm realizing that I know more than you do and you've been doing it for 20 years. So I can't have this conversation with you. (laughs) And that happened over and over and over again. And some of it was because they truly didn't know. And other times it's because they just didn't feel like it was important enough. Or they didn't want to tell you because you're their competition. Maybe that was it. That's a lot of the scarcity mentality you see a lot of people have about business. It's like, no, 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 guys. We all need to work together to get better and better the profession. I'm not trying to come in and take your job. I don't want to... Uh, do this for the because my girls will now be better than your gym and when we go to you know states or we go to regionals or anything like that or we go to this competition invitational like we're gonna be better than you and we're gonna win and be like ha 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 i stole your information and used it for myself you're talking about teenage girls who run the risk of breaking their like i can't tell you the percentage of gymnasts who were injured it's a brutal sport yeah it's a brutal sport and when you look at the mechanics of it what they're told to do as far as requirements for let's say landings what the judges require them to do before they lose deductions it is biomechanically inefficient it is built for injury the way that they do it and there's a lot of work being done to change that so that you're not having the knee and back and hip injuries that you're having oh good but it is like you said it's brutal yeah so i'm not asking you for help so that i can beat you i'm asking you 
for your input on something that you've been doing a lot longer than I have, so that I have some resiliency from these girls, so they can walk yeah, when so they're thirty. They ruin themselves yeah. forever. I had at least two girls who were in high school when I started. That one of them had back pain and was limited for two years when I was there. And I did everything that I knew how to do to help her out. And she did very little strength work, lower body-wise, because her, like, her back was just messed up. But she refused to quit. So I was like, I'm going to work around this as much as I can. And there was another girl who had back pain. And they're going to have back pain for who knows Probably how, the rest, of their, rest lives. of their lives. Most likely. Because what was being done as far as their strength and conditioning wasn't adequate to make them resilient to the sport that they were doing, which the sport that they were doing was just destroying their body to begin with. And so you have this multi-factor approach, which is just breaking them down. I'm not asking so that we win. I'm asking so that they can have a body without arthritis. Yeah, a quality of life later. Yeah. It's like, and you want to think about the fact that you're concerned that we're going to beat you when at the next meet? There's a lot of people that think that way. Just, I guess that's sad. I know, but it's, yeah. it's, it's the scarcity mentality. Yeah. It's, it's, Beaten into people at such a young age yeah. that they, it sticks with them for a lot of their lives. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, we have had a great conversation. I've really enjoyed this. <laughs> we haven't really covered what I was hoping we would cover because I got a little bit too involved in getting to know you. So I apologize. That's completely my fault. I was having way too much fun. But let, let's go ahead and just uh, cut this one off for now. And then maybe okay. I can talk you into coming back real soon and we can do like a real quick. Like a recovery one on one for like a half an hour or so, and just kind of just just go away and just hit like a bunch of good things of like what to look for in the gym and out out of the gym and those kind of things. So, um, where, where's a place where people can go find more about you and what you do? Uh, I'm on Facebook at Elite Recovery Sports Massage and Instagram at Elite underscore Recovery underscore LMT. Hmm. People want to check those out. I'm not huge on social media. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> um, I understand that. I'm the same boat. <laughs> I repost when people make some videos and mention me in them. And if I travel anywhere for competitions, I, I take some pictures. But uh, for the most part, uh, nothing too crazy or exciting that okay. goes on there. Well, that's a good place people can still go yeah. and find you yeah. and get a hold of you. And then hopefully they can get in to see if they're having some problems. Because yeah. we're in the northeast Ohio area. So if you're if you're around, uh, come give Dana a visit. So with that, I, I appreciate the time. I oh, really, really <laughs> enjoyed our conversation. I hope you had fun too. I did. And we will definitely do this again. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Well, I definitely got a little too into our conversation to have him talk about what I was supposed to have Dane talk about. I guess I'm not very good at keeping this thing short and concise. I'll have to work on that. We are fortunate that Dane was able to stick around for another episode quick and tune into that one for a talk about recovery. Uncensored Humanity is also available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and leave a five-star review as this will help get the show found by new listeners. I hope to have a new episode out in the next week or two, so stay tuned. We'll see you all next time on Uncensored Humanity.